Hey, this is The Real Dirt with Chip Baker. Today's Real Dirt is Matt Bickle with Bickle Consulting. Matt's a longtime friend of mine. He's been supplying quality medical cannabis for years to the state of Colorado and is now using his knowledge to further help people in the medical cannabis and the legal cannabis industry. Welcome, Matthew. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to kind of spill my guts here and see what we can't come up with. Mm, Awesome. Well, this is going to be a great show. Me and Matt have been friends for a number of years. We're both uh, met through Sound Tribe Sector 9 and immediately hit it off. uh, Growing and smoking cannabis were topics of conversation nonstop 10 years ago. And uh, I've watched Matt start from the basement and go to the top, literally. Basement to the boardroom. Basement to the boardroom. Yeah, somebody has coined that saying, I believe. But I'll, I'll steal it then. We'll, we'll, ju- we'll just take it. Matt's considered a cannabis expert in many areas, from compliance to production, uh, quality, techniques, technology, law, advice, encouragement. Coach Bickle. I'm wondering if we could start this interview with your idea of what the evolution of a pot grower is. Uh, That's an easy one for me because all I have to do is basically tell you my story. Uh, Every pot grower that I know uh, started out a long time ago in a basement paranoid. And I'd say the number one objective of an old school pot grower was to keep the smell down. And everything you did was based around not letting your landlord or neighbors find out that you were growing pot. And that was our main adversity for many, many years. Afghan that don't stink. (laughs) That's right. That's right. You know, we were able to become better growers through the community we had out here in Colorado, which was, I think, a major advantage we had here in Colorado. A lot of kids were willing to share information and be a little bit more open about it than a lot of places in the rest of the country. So I think we all had a really big advantage as far as just um, trying to kind of combine all our knowledge together to make one better process. And that, I think, pushed us along quite a bit. As uh, marijuana got legalized medically, that was a big, huge breakthrough for us because I think most people figured they would retire that way eventually. And that's uh, 2008, 2009. Yeah, well, two, well, maybe before then. but Probably right around 2008 is when... Um, you didn't have to sell your marijuana illegally anymore. You could take it to a dispensary and immediately sell it inside the dispensary and everywhere you went. It was uh, around $4,800 a pound then. And you could grow weed in your closet, your basement, your garage, your backyard, and just walk into any dispensary unregulated and sell pounds of cannabis. 100%. And uh, those are considered the backpack days. If you were to look into the uh, made-up hippie terminology, we had, uh, you basically threw your weed in the backpack, went in and sold it and got cash. There was some consignment, but a lot of it was cash. Um, people were, you know, liquidating it so quickly back then, especially the good stores, that there was no problem bringing it in. You know, you couldn't grow it fast enough. And, oh, I remember the rush of it. People would be out. Yeah. Right? Oh, like, yeah. Stores yeah. would be out Empty at the end jars, of the day. One and, jar. You know, people would hustle when the harvest was and, yeah. oh yeah, man. I remember those early Lodo days even were like that. Yeah, we couldn't, right? we couldn't grow it fast enough. So that started to evolve to, it got to be where vertical integration was required, which vertical integration is, was 
first introduced in the medical marijuana uh, field, and that basically means that in order to sell marijuana, you had to grow and produce your own. Uh, right. There's a percentage you're allowed, but you have to grow up to 70% of what you sell, which is basically the majority of all your inventory. It required... I always called it the Rockefeller uh, rule, which they made a rule against it with John D. Rockefeller because he had monopolies on the steel company, the railroad company that brought the ore to the steel company, the building company that built with the steel, and they fought against it. And here in Colorado, ironically, I feel like they forced it on us uh, at first with on the medical industry, which was obviously the first and only industry at first. From there, after... You know, people were forced to be vertically integrated. These stores were forced to hire all these good growers that had the best backpack full of weed for the past few years. And, you know, in 2009, 2010, everybody had to kind of go find a grower. And that's where, as a grower, we had to evolve very quickly. So people are walking into shops. They're selling weed. This is 2009, 2010. Yep. Right? The laws are just changing to where now it's a regulated environment to where you have to to grow and sell the cannabis. Precisely. Right. And that's what you're talking about, vertical integration. The regulations started and changed. Exactly. To where you, and it, it's changed over the years, and it, but it started out at like 70% or something. Yeah, and right? actually that's never changed. The only thing that's changed is on the rec market, they got rid of vertical integration, which we'll go into later. Right, in right. And the medical, they still have it. Right, yeah, it's right, still to right, this right. day the exact same. Which, you know... I honestly think vertical integration was one of the best things that could have happened in Denver because it really kept the market growing. Many players got to be involved. Exactly. Good things for cannabis, too. Many strains came out of this. People couldn't rely on buying wholesale cannabis. They could only buy 30%. So many dispensaries have 20, 30, 40, 50, 70 different strains. Exactly. Exactly. I agree with you. I think it's really funny how it just evolved so quickly. You know, one of the proudest moments I have of of all the the people in the marijuana industry in Colorado, at least, is that we just kept jumping through hoops and where everyone just thought, you know, they could regulate us out of this industry or find a way, you know, too many hoops for us to jump through. Everyone just kept, you know, like 70-30, done. And the exact explanation of 70-30 for everyone listening is that you have to produce 70% of what you sell in-house and you're allowed to purchase wholesale 30% of what you sell. And to come up with that number, it's in a year's time. It's a difficult number because as you can imagine, you sell so much product at you know different speeds and different rates. It's hard to actually come up with that number. So you have basically till the very end of the year and then you have to start getting your numbers and seeing where you're at and your ratios and try and get that caught up to 70 and 30. And the majority of people have a problem with purchasing more than 30% wholesale because they can't produce enough because they sell so much. And so they have a major problem at the end of the year catching up with the amount of wholesale they purchased and they just have to produce it more of their own. So getting back to the evolution of a pot grower. Evolution of the pot grower, I know. So uh, vertical integration... Um, uh, we were just speaking of that. You know, the interesting thing about vertical integration is how much money it made for people. Yeah. Right. The but average Joe. The, yeah, absolutely. So it allowed people to grow 70% of their product, and then they're selling it in-house at five, six, seven, ten thousand dollars $10,000 a pound at yeah. the time. Right, up to $25 a gram, $30 a gram. Absolutely. Right. I remember being 9000 a pound sold retail, if done right. <laughs> yeah, right. And the right, profit right. margin was at 90% if you were vertically integrated 100%. Right, right. Yeah, just an incredible profit, an incredible quick turn. And, and many people had problems 
meeting their sales demands on a monthly basis. They yeah. they oversold every single month. Yeah. Right. And there was regulations issues with that because many people continue to buy on the wholesale market. Right. Even though they uh, uh, they were producing, say, 70 percent, 100 pounds, say they were producing 70 pounds a month and buying 30 pounds a month, but they were selling 200 pounds a month. Right. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And in the early days, there wasn't much regulation for that either. But no. uh, uh, wholesale prices back then were four thousand plus dollars a pound still, too. Absolutely. Right. So it's still great money. Buy it for four. You're selling it for nine. Yep. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that went on for a while until everyone, you know, that's basically where we all got jobs. The cream got to rise to the top. All the best basement growers got to get a job in a dispensary. Everybody had an opportunity. A lot of people failed. A lot of people succeeded. That was basically how it kind of stayed until uh, January 2012 when marijuana got legalized on the recreational side. And that's when the lid blew off the thing, and that's when everything changed. Um, right. Now, when did you get a job working for a dispensary? Well, I worked with uh, Colorado Alternative Medicine, building right. out their grow and helping them grow before you had to have a badge, before there was any regulations. regulations. Right. Um, then I kind of separated ways with them and started working at Loda Wellness Center in 2010, um, my job interview was literally bringing jars of weed down and showing the quality of the flower, and that was all it took. You know, it was we had to bring our own equipment in, <laughs> which was so, pretty fun. So you walked into this dispensary, you noticed they had shitty weed. Yep, they're like their 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 weed was bad. Yep, and you approached the owner, pulled out a sack of better weeds, like, look, this is what I could do for you. Absolutely, nah. got the job on the spot. Got the job on the spot. Yep, awesome. When yeah. did you start working after that? Yeah, the next day, you know, the very next day, we did a walkthrough of the flower room and they had every bug and mold problem there was. And I was a buddy of a buddy getting to grow the weed there that literally tried to watch the show Weeds and kind of YouTube how to grow marijuana and was absolutely burying the business. Right. There's so many people out there like that. Yeah. It's right. uh, it's more common than you think. So No, it's 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 absolutely common. I have this phrase that everyone who's ever smoked a joint thinks they can make a million dollars with cannabis somehow. <laughs> That's they're like, they're right. like, oh man, we, we, we could grow a million dollars of this shit. You know, if I could get enough of this, I could make a million dollars. Absolutely. And they're, now they're all doing it. <laughs> or trying. Trying to. It's changed a little bit, man. It's not, it's definitely not as lucrative for people. The regulations have come in. So it's 2012. 2012, uh, it's about the same time that REC went legal is when we really got our regulations hammered down on us um, as far as enforcement. The laws have been written for a long time, but as a grower, you were able to kind of just, you know, if you didn't intentionally break the law, there was really no problems in, in being a grower. And that's when things really started to change in around 2012. People had to be able to grow it compliantly. And at first that just meant tagging your plants, uh, keeping it in a metric system, which uh, you know showed the seed to sale tracking of the plant. And for an old crusty grower, that's definitely uh, something you know tough to get used to because you're so used to not having to do anything as far as, you know, you don't have to answer to anyone. And now all of a sudden you have to grow your pot and answer to someone. And that definitely right. started to uh, also kind of make the cream rise to the top again. Could you grow a good right. pot? Could you do right. it within the laws? Right. You know, one thing people don't realize that aren't associated with cannabis is that 
people have been growing weed indoors and outdoors in their backyards and in fields, you know, for, for years. The uh, indoor metal halide light became popular for growing weed in 1980. Yeah. Right. So literally people came out of their closets to go to work that may have never even had a job. Yeah. <laughs> and previously they were making 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80,000 dollars out of their closets and not working, right? Yeah. 15 minutes a day, maybe 10 minutes a day. No taxes. Vacations, no taxes. Now they're asked to work in a dispensary or now they come to the dispensary environment. Absolutely. Right, right. And uh that's what you're speaking of, like the the hard transition. Totally. Right. And the funny thing is is like they almost gave us enough rope to hang ourselves because they didn't regulate it at first. And all these growers came in and kind of just had free reign and were just doing right, whatever they wanted. Right, right. And then, and then they enforced the laws. And so it really kind of got you fast. Totally put the brakes on it. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah, man. I mean, you know, it was a slow roll on the enforcement and that's the interesting thing about legal cannabis in California, Colorado, Oregon, Washington, all the other States that are legalizing or have legalized it in some manner is that it's not just day one where it's legal, right? They like on January 1st, 2014, they started selling cannabis in Colorado legally, recreationally. I was like number 46 in your store, Lodo Wellness. Yeah. Right. And they passed the law in 2012. Yeah. So it took two years after they passed the law before they were able to legalize it. Crazy. Before they were able to sell it. Right. I like on that, even on that first day, July 1st, remember everyone sold out of weed. Yeah. And some people sold as much weed in one day as they did in a month. January or a week 1st. Yeah. On January 1st. Absolutely. And then it was like hard to get. Yeah. Right. Right. Prices rose. Right. Absolutely. Right. Like they, I remember it at your shop. They had it, to. Your shop's premium shop, small shop, craft cannabis. Uh, and you, you guys only grow top notch buds, uh, Lodo Wellness and uh, Plug Plug. <laughs> and man, it was like thirty dollars a gram for OG cushion there. Yeah, it was right? a two gram limit. Remember, and a two gram limit. Yeah, I, I forgot about that. Absolutely. And we the, the funny part about that is on December thirty first of two thousand and thirteen, we had no clue. You know, we didn't know if there was going to be. 50 people in front of the store the next day or one or if it was going to be the same right. as the day before we had no idea and it just ran over us like a freight train i mean there was there was i think you know i think the first day we saw 3500 people through the store All right. and the most people we'd seen through the store prior to that was like maybe 110 wow. <laughs> so things changed quick oh yeah 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 there were lines out everybody's door we also went to on january First, 2014, we stood in line at 7 a.m. at your shop at Lodo. And then we went over to our other friends, uh, Greg uh, Gamut and Justin Jones facility, uh, Dank. Yep. Had like 300 plus people Absolutely. in line. I believe, right? and you have to fact check me on this, but I believe it was only like 13 stores that were ready to go that hardly day. Hardly any, hardly yeah. any, hardly any. I yeah, maybe it was 13. It was definitely a small amount, though, that's for sure. Yeah. So we're up 2014 in your evolution. Yep. Right. This is when it gets crazy right. again as a grower. Um, right about end of 2014 is when the uh, Colorado Department of Agriculture, the Colorado De <clears throat> Fire Department, the Denver Fire Department especially, and um, the Environmental Protection Agency all kind of got together with the Marijuana Enforcement Division and started to regulate pesticides 
which was a huge uh, problem we had here that needed to happen or needed to be fixed, I should say. Uh, there was right. a lot of growers who got really comfortable using illegal pesticides that were not approved here, and um, they were not being used responsibly. And uh, right. you know, ultimately, the consumer was who was going to suffer from that. And uh, there was a huge crackdown. And I would say that it would be comparable to taking Tylenol away from doctors is how the industry had to react as a grower. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, most growers didn't know anything else but what was in the medicine cabinet and it worked absolutely. for years and it really turned things upside down. Right, right. No, you're absolutely right. The regulation on the pesticides are something that absolutely need to happen, but it really did open up this can of worms on labeling issues. And, oh man. You know, cause that's what it is. It's a label issue about the pesticides and not really if it's healthy for me or you. Yep. Because it might be something that can be sprayed on grapes or tomatoes or tobacco. Stuff that is. That is. And in the grocery store, if you're getting non-organic food uh, or food that has pesticides sprayed on it, uh, you're getting those same chemicals that are not regulated for cannabis in Colorado or Washington. Yes. Right. And it's a, it's a purely, it's a labeling issue. So what that right? basically was, was, or is, is the FDA has not approved marijuana because it's federally illegal. So there is not an FDA single product that can be labeled FDA approved. All products sold in America, pesticides have to be FDA approved. And no company is allowed to put marijuana on it because it's not federally recognized. So what it ends up doing is it ties the hands of the people who could test it could show that it's legal to use on marijuana and that it's totally safe. There's, you know, every beer that's drank in America has had Eagle 20 sprayed on it, which is to keep powdery mildew off it. And that's kind of like the, the <laughs> right, black right, plague right. of, you know, marijuana. If you get caught using that, it's the worst thing you can get caught with. Right, 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 right. Absolutely. Yeah. It has been difficult for people. Now the only products that they can use are the ones that are labeled for general agricultural use, general garden use. Yes. Which means mostly it's organic product, mm -hmm. right? Mostly uh, it's soaps, botanical extracts, neem oil extracts, azadractin. Yep. Right? Yeah. Potassium salts. Absolutely. It, it, which is great for, for the industry to some degree. Yeah. Right? Because there's, there's less stuff on it. But uh, there's also some other problems that are developing over this, right? Absolutely. Powdery mildew issues, bug issues. People would rather deal with let the bugs be on the cannabis than just spray it, which, okay, there's, there's definitely an argument on that. But just the quality of cannabis starts to grade. Absolutely. Right? And so we've seen that happen running all over the planet. Industry-wide. Right. Absolutely. Wow. Quality has gone down since 2010, you think? I think so, and it's um, it's probably a safer product to smoke, at least without knowing any better. If every single yeah, right. batch of marijuana was tested, I think we'd find out that when responsibly used, some of these pesticides would be great for the industry and for the entire you know, right, absolutely. With proper integrated pest management techniques. Yes. Right. I mean, as far as like a nursery style where you, you know, all your starters get the illegal pesticides or not illegal, but just harsh pesticides on them. And then they Chemical get sold synthetic. to right. a grower who can then, you know, who's not allowed to use them. And you could 
go the entire life cycle of the plant. So by the time you were to test it, the final product, the flower, there's absolutely right. none of the chemical in it. Then we've done ourselves a great favor because another problem with the organic sprays is not enough people know how to use them. They're being overused and people are over spraying their plants. Right. And that's where the right. quality is really right. starting to suffer. Right. You're just burning the hell out of your plants with all these sprays. There's so much misinformation on pesticide use because when people read the back of the bottle or consultants look at it or pesticide people look at it, they have no history with cannabis. Yep. So what we're smoking is the cannabis flower. It's the dried cannabis flower. And I know I have my own opinion, but I believe that we shouldn't be spraying anything on the flower. I agree. And you should have all your shit together before you flip the lights, before you flower it. Yeah. Right. So you don't spray anything else. Unfortunately, with the organic pesticides, people don't have a proper integrated pest management system and they're spraying oil extracts all the way up all the to way the to the finish finished product. Right. And now the state does microbial testing and it's pretty, pretty heavy duty as far as it can pick up almost anything. And most people are finding that molds and yeast are where they're failing with their product. And right. it's almost becoming an epidemic now because you have to pay to grow it, to get it all the way harvested, trimmed, and tested before you can find out. And it's store ready in a jar at that point. And that's when you get it tested and find out if it's able to sell or not. Now you can right. still get it made into concentrates and because it is able to kill, you know, certain processes for making concentrates can kill the mold in the marijuana and you can still right. get the good stuff out of it. But as far as, you know, you wouldn't ever spend that much money to, pro to produce it the way you did until you, you know, if you were knowing that 25% of it was going to fail, you would just be trying to not do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. Do you think that uh, Bacillus compost tea, that's affecting mold and yeast counts? I think, if anything, that's maybe helping. Like only because the plant is a little bit more resilient and a little bit and more. And it's eating the mold. Absolutely. And, mildew, right? and I think that, you know. It's, and just spraying shit on your flowers, literally, because uh, that's Hompo's tea. Yeah. While you're, it just hurts me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I like go in dispensaries for my market research and, you know, buy cannabis there. And, you know, I, I look at it and I can almost look at it and tell if it's had any type of liquid sprayed on it during the course of its flowering mm -hmm. lifetime because yeah. the, the crystals get washed absolutely. off. It has a different color even to burnt. it. Even burnt. Even burnt. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, man. It's a, uh, it's a funny thing. I, I really think that, you know, again, if we were able to use some of these banned products in a responsible way, we wouldn't have to spray much at all. Absolutely. So, I mean, I know there's this whole federal state regulation issues with cannabis, and this is one direct cause of this problem yes. uh, uh, or effect of this problem is there's federal laws that say that cannabis is legal and is a schedule one drug and it keeps cannabis but from being used responsibly or grown responsibly in this manner because yep. there's no company that can s state on their label that you can use this for cannabis. Yep. Right. You can use this for hemp. You can use this for ganja. Nobody says that. Nobody can say that. Yep. Nobody's, hands are tied. Nobody's going to be able to say it, right? Yep. Uh, and, until the schedule changes. Totally. Right, right. And I think that we can thank the large alcohol companies, tobacco companies, pharmaceutical companies for pushing Probably really that. hard against us to not allow it to be, you know, the schedule to be changed or marijuana to be legalized because our drug's so much better than theirs. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, 
you know, they're going to they're going to be the first people to really hop in it as soon as it's legal, though. They're right. trying to already. You know, oh, they're, they are hopping into it on the side, um, around the back door. Uh, but it's it's difficult for large companies to invest in cannabis uh, legally. It's not so difficult if you're within the state and you're, uh, you know, a local and within that state to invest cannabis yep. dollars. There's lots but, of venture capitalists. There's lots of at private equity. There's even banks that'll loan people money. There's yep. equipment financer people. And even if they're right? not investing, they're positioning. They're positioning. That, that's yeah. that's absolutely true. All right. Well, hey, let's take a break there. This is uh, Real Dirt with Chip Baker and Matt Bickle. Talking about evolution of a pot grower with Matt Bickle here on Real Dirt with Chip Baker. Matt, you're not so much a pot grower anymore, though, are you? No, actually, I don't get to grow a whole lot of pot anymore. And that is the evolution. Yes, sir, it is. (laughs) Right, 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 right. So tell me about Matt Bickle Consulting. So during this whole evolution, I've always been dumb enough or smart enough to go listen to everyone to pay attention to what everyone's doing and to try and take best techniques from all my different friends all the different growers i've met and try and do what makes sense to my logical brain and through that and a lot of trial and error i was able to you know come up with some pretty good techniques that worked well in colorado and with my strains in the system that you know i'm i'm comfortable and used to and I found myself helping a whole lot of other friends uh, do the same thing and with a little bit of success. So I knew there was something there. And um, I'm good friends with uh, Mason Travert, who is the, oh, yeah. one of the main marijuana policy project guys. I'm trying he, to get uh, Mason on the show right now. Oh, awesome. Uh, I met him in front of my grocery store getting signatures for legalization um, in like 2008 when we were trying to get it on the Denver ballot. And uh, he's always, I've always been a huge fan of his. He's one of the coolest guys I've ever met and is also who we can probably thank along with a few other cool people for legalizing marijuana here in Colorado. So as things become legal, as rec becomes legal, as the evolution kind of grows, I start to see that there's a huge void for quality marijuana in the industry and also a huge opportunity to kind of evolve. And so I stuck my nose out to Mason and asked him if he could point me in the right direction as far as getting a consulting company going. And uh, he directed me to the 
folks at Vicente Cedarberg, who is um, anyone in the marijuana industry in Colorado is very familiar with these guys. In the guys. country, honestly. Yeah. Right. They're the, the world, um, really. They're the, I say between, between Brian Vicente, Christian Cedarberg, and um, Mason Travert and Steve Fox, that's like the Moses and Jesus of marijuana. They kind of walked us into the promised land, those four guys. And uh, Brian and Christian are you know, not only awesome lawyers, but amazing people, um, incredible activists. Same with Mason and Steve. And those guys formed a pretty strong team that pulled off legalization here in Colorado, Amendment 64. Brian was the author of Amendment 64. Um, and uh, Christian was the head of the task force that implemented all the laws. And these guys just really you know, took it upon themselves and put it on their shoulders to uh, legalize pot for us. Whenever I got, you know, the idea to start consulting, my first uh, thought was to reach out to these guys in Mason. Um, I met with them all, and we were able to kind of put something together that made sense that um, I could start working with them before I started doing consulting. Um, a big problem in the industry is compliance and lack of knowledge of compliance. So I went to work for those guys for six months as kind of a, a intern education in compliance with a bunch of lawyers and found out how to, you know, basically teach people how to do it, grow really good pot without breaking the law. And so that was an amazing opportunity for me and an amazing. Oh, you went from flip flops to three piece suit. Yeah. I remember that. Yes, sir. Right? I did. <laughs> I uh, thank God I don't have to wear those suits. You're back anymore. to flip flops yeah, now, right? Yeah. Right. Presently. So um, working with those guys was a huge eye-opening experience as to just, you know, how many more layers there are to this industry than just growing a plant and sticking it on a shelf. Uh, you know, you talk, you talk about in your blogs the grower, the dealer, and the smoker, and this was truly the full circle. Uh, I got to see the entire, you know, process of marijuana from a regulatory standpoint all the way through, you know, the, the entire sale of it and then the compliance that goes involved with that. A big way I like to explain it that someone taught me was that the Colorado marijuana industry is regulated as if the wine industry were to be regulated by them making you count the grapes versus the bottles you sell. So we don't get to just package all the marijuana up and put it in a bag and count how many bags we sold. We have to count every single piece of marijuana as it's grown, as it's processed, and as it's sold. This makes it a much more tricky place to actually be a good grower and also be a compliant grower. Yeah, there's no hiding behind those numbers. So when you harvest cannabis here, you have to weigh it right when you cut it. The entire plant. The entire planet. And yep. the entire plant. And then it's labeled. Yes. And you dry it. Yep. And when it's dried, it's trimmed. And then you have to weigh the leaf, the stem, and, and the, the bud. And right? the waste. And the waste. Whatever. Yep. What, what, what's, what's the waste? The waste would be any big leaves you pulled off, uh, all the extra stem. There's some people that, that, because there's not a true definition of the law, I've seen people weigh their cocoa balls, their root balls, whatever the medium they're in. I've seen, you know, all kinds of different uh, and techniques. And that's the funny thing is there's the state has never sent someone out and said, this is how you do it. 
So a guy like me that gets to go into a whole lot of grows all the time is a riot to see what people have come up with as their idea of compliance, their idea of regulation, because people are so excited to be a part of the industry that they don't want to break the law. They want to follow it to the T or even further. And so their interpretation of what they read or whatever attorney they have or, you know, however they come to these conclusions is absolutely a riot. I've seen you know, people just doing the craziest stuff, weighing the, you know, trying to weigh the moisture in the air to see if they had to account for that as a plant loses weight as it dries and just absolutely insane, idiotic things. So you, you've gone to dozens or hundreds of grow rooms through this pickle consulting. Yes. Right. I wouldn't say hundreds, but maybe a hundred. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's kind of hard to keep track. Well, man, when you first, in the early days, but the compliance issues, like I remember you were just like three, four a day. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And that was a lot to do with the pesticide crisis. I started working with, with the Sente Cedarberg right at the same time as the pesticide crisis. So a lot of clients were, when I say pesticide crisis, I mean a lot of people were starting to get, um, you know, know, they knew they were incompliant and didn't have a way to stop mold and bugs without breaking the law. So a lot of people reached out to them, and, and they were able to utilize me for that. And I'd say that that was what really springboarded things, and that's why I did so, so many volume of people for such a long time. Right. I mean, you've, you've helped dozens of people in compliance with cannabis cultivation. You know, and you're kind of like a priest to some degree, but can you, can you say, give me, give me some stories. You got, a, you got a strange story for me? Strange story. You know, what's the oddest thing? What's the, what's the most interesting thing? What's Man. the craziest thing you've seen at one of these grow rooms? Well, one of the craziest things I've seen is uh, we, last year, a client of mine down in southern Colorado decided to grow 8,000 plants on nine acres, which was uh, all outdoor, all organic, all from seed. And the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life was the attempt at the, the very bold attempt at uh, trying to do that with a very small staff and and not the best equipment, I guess. Just going going for it. Yeah, just head going over heels for went for it. It didn't go so good, I'll say that, but it was uh, one of the most interesting educational experiences of my life. Right, right. The adversity of, of, you know, true farming versus growing pot and how spoiled you are inside a greenhouse, inside a, you know, warehouse right. where you've got environmental control. Mother nature is not whipping your ass on a daily basis on your plants and you, um, the, you know, the physical toll it takes on your body. That's definitely one of the more, uh, you know, mind blowing experiences I've had as a grower and just driving up on 8,000 plants is pretty cool though. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I've been selling uh, cannabis farmers uh, equipment for 15 years I've seen this type of thing happen over and over again. People buy, like to bite off more than they can chew. Yeah. We do it when we go to a buffet. I've been to a buffet with you. Right. True. And <laughs> we like to bite off more than we can chew. Yeah. Right. The the, the enthusiasm of I'm going to crush it, I'm going to blow it out. Yeah. Right. Well, right. and then there's a fine line between trying to grow money and grow marijuana. Right. And I know that's one of the points we had talked about uh, right. going over today. Growing money. Are you growing money or are you growing weed? I found that, you know, I'd say if you wanted to look at the industry as a whole, the first 25% of the lifespan of the industry was all basically people that wanted to grow marijuana, that wanted to grow good weed. Money was a bonus. They knew they were going to get it. But you had to stick your neck out there at the beginning. Because right, you wanted it. 
You yeah. had to want and it. And you you very well could have gone to jail as far as we knew. Right. There were still people getting raided in California, dispensaries right. all the time. We had no idea the federal presence that we were going to receive here or lack of, which is what we did receive, due to the fact that we were able to regulate it a little bit faster than California. But without not knowing that, everyone who was working in the industry for the first four or five years was sticking their neck out there, gambling. Oh, yeah. Every All the oh, people yeah. that are invested now were calling us idiots back then. It was definitely, you know, only growing weed. Right. Yeah, you know, California's had such a long history of, of cannabis cultivation and legal enforcement over it. Yep. And Colorado never really got that. Because we wrote the laws right. so much faster. You, you wrote the laws better, even to some degree. And well, California's just dealing with their laws right now. But yeah, you know, I love California. Lived there fifteen years. Huge state, great state. Still have a home there. Love the place. Absolutely. Uh, uh, it's got its fair share of problems with any law or commerce. Yeah. We're strictly right. speaking government here. We're just strictly speaking government <laughs> yeah. here. So we can uh, beat up. If you're out there and you think I'm Cali Hayden, I ain't. Uh, matter of fact, you should send me an ounce of dank California weed um, anytime you want. But, <laughs> That's awesome. but uh, yeah, Colorado made it happen because they were able to, through a legislative process, legalize the use of medical cannabis and put in regulations to control it. Absolutely. No one else had done that before. Yes. Right. And that's what really made it successful here. Yeah. And the funny thing is, you know, something we were really interested in talking about too was the difference between regulation and the illusion of regulation, which uh, I think the packaging kind of, you know, as far as wanting to bring the real dirt to everybody listening, uh, I really would say that this is something we'd have to dive into because we are regulated. We have a ton of rules. We do a really good job of of creating the illusion that we're following those rules to a T. And in saying that, I would tell you that no one who breaks the law intentionally is getting away with it. Eventually, those people are getting caught. Right. All but the outlaws and criminals have been getting caught, the, for sure. Yes, sir. But the difference is, is that there's 560 laws that are impossible to follow if you're not an expert in the laws. And there's always right. a chance that you can be breaking two or three of those at any time and be completely clueless. An, an example of this would be harvesting cannabis. Explain how you could break the law when you harvest cannabis. So you're harvesting cannabis. Anyone who's ever been a part of a marijuana harvest would know that as you're taking the plant out of the table, out of the room and over to trim it, buds are going to fall on the floor it's it's just inevitable. You know, a piece gets caught in the doorway, a piece is still hung up on the trellis and it gets ripped off. Um, every plant is supposed to be weighed whole with every single piece of the plant together. So when a bud falls off and you don't know what bud it is, you know, now you have to either throw it away or try and identify it and add it to a batch. It becomes this huge issue, whereas you should be able to throw it into the miscellaneous pile like everyone else has that's right. ever grown marijuana that's not regulated and be able to just, you know, regard it as some of the floor buds. But now in a compliant grow, you have like this huge problem where you don't know where this bud came from. So to follow the law, you have to grind it up, integrate it with 50% non-marijuana plant matter, make it unrecognizable and unusable, and and throw it away and tag it and document it. All this over a bud that hit the floor. You know, it's just one of those situations where at any given day, you know, 
any trimmer that's going to really know that process that I just told you is is shouldn't be a trimmer. You know, right, they right, should be right. working as a compliance officer because I certainly didn't know it. And so every day I ever harvested growing pot, I was constantly, you know, dropping buds, picking them up, tossing them in with, the, you know, the closest bin. And every time I did it, I was breaking the law. Right, right. And until you, until you figured out how not to do that. And Precisely. And I know you have a, a fairly specific technique for harvesting and keeping track of compliant cannabis yeah, uh, I don't know if that's a proper phraseology, but we'll just go with it. Uh, it's very specific. It's not just cutting it all down, throwing it into a pile, hanging it on a you know a hanger. Exactly. Right. You like you have to take care, do it in a specific manner. Yeah. There's documents. Right? We produce documents so, to make it easier. So you know, we we should really start at the beginning here. We've kind of like been all over the place, but we're talking about the 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 regulation. Let's. Are other people out there, they're new to cannabis, they don't know anything about buying or selling it, they just think they can go buy a joint. They just think weed's legal now, and they buy a joint. But mm -hmm. let, let's talk about what regulation really is. Regulation is, it's a big, huge net that the government has cast out to catch every dollar they possibly can from this industry because it's a very lucrative and promising industry right bureaucracy absolutely it's also regulation is a way to just you know obviously police the industry to not let it get out of control uh it was the only way that to keep the criminal and outlaw element out of the business for yep. sure you have to have regulations. yes sir and also i think that with you know the entire rest of the world putting colorado under the microscope being the first regulated marijuana industry with a huge market and, you know, everyone kind of wanted to zone, hone in on us. I feel like they, in writing the laws, overregulated them, but then also didn't really have an understanding of how to enforce the same laws they wrote, being right. the state of Colorado. They, and, they just sounded like a good idea on paper. Yeah. Right. They, they sound amazing. But to go live those rules, those 550 rules on a daily basis, to try and follow them, to try and do it correctly is incredibly difficult. And everyone does it. And they also wrote an entire new terminology for us, metric program, which is the seed to sale tracking program that's state required, is you know is an entire industry of terminology that you, everyone had to learn, and it'd be kind of like if you know someone said gave you a board game and showed you the rules to the board game and said, all right, go do this for millions of dollars, like it's you know just completely out of left field this tracking program that no one knows how to really use and everyone's just kind of becoming experts in the rule book and i know people that are making a crazy living just by being experts in the rules you know right absolutely so many areas so many ancillary businesses have developed with legal cannabis and compliance compliance officers so to speak yep. compliance consultants yep. that's one of the things you do is you consult people on compliance. You walk into their grow room and you say, hey, this is how you're out of regulation. This is how you get into regulation. Yep. Right. Yeah. And it's, uh, I I would defer any of the big stuff to the compliance department of Vicente Cedarburg just because they have their finger on the pulse of the rules a little bit more than I do. But sure. a bonus of having me around is I can walk through as a former employee of theirs and be like, hey, you know that that's missing a tag and it's over eight inches taller and eight inches wide, you can get your place shut down. So I can offer little bits of advice here and there, but uh, you know, between the two of us, we can sew you up solid as far as compliance goes. <laughs> All right. So, Hey, let's, let's do this cool little exercise. This will be great. 
in a short phraseology, let's go through it from start to finish of growing a plant. Okay. Right? Try to, like, we'll just keep it to, like, small, small compliance-like sentences. Let's keep this in compliance. Okay. All right. Where do we start? So where you start is... Okay, wait, 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 let's back it up. We've we've already have a compliant and legal grow room. Okay, <laughs> so we're standing in a compliant and legal grow room, and we're going to go cut a clone off of a mother that is tagged and put in metric as either a medical or recreational plant. There's no and difference. Metric between, is the state's tracking system. tracking system that tracks the cannabis seed to sale, clone yes. to sale. Absolutely. Right. So in this metric program, the the program knows what room you have to have every room labeled or numbered and it knows what room the mother plant is in and it knows that the plant is there. It knows the number on the plant and it knows whether it's recreational or medical. It's only difference RFID being, tag. Yes, sir. And the only difference is the color of the tag is makes it medical or recreational. So that's the only difference for between medical and recreational in, in the start, in the grow room. Yes. Is is the color of the tag. Absolutely. That's the on exact the same plants. Yeah. On the clone. On so the clone. you're saying that you got have sour diesel plants, you take 50 clones and you put a recreational tag on it, and 50 clones and you can put a medical tag on it? Well, you have to cut 50 clones from the medical sour diesel mom, or you have to cut 50 clones from the recreational sour diesel mom. You have to have a match of each mom, one of each, sure. but they're identical plants. They're identical the same plants. DNA. Same plants. Okay. Yeah. So you cut a clone from this mom and you have to tell metric metric we're going to talk a lot about here throughout this process because it's basically you big brother looking over your shoulder so you tell metric that you cut 50 immature sour diesel clones of recreational and you put them in as immature now they were uh wise enough to understand that there's an attrition rate and that all 50 clones might not root especially with the growers i've seen out there we might get five to root but hopefully you get 45 to 50 of your clones to root. At that point, they become uh, immature plants. So when they have roots, they still don't need a tag. They're just basically considered a clone at that point. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you take that plant and you pot it. And once Do they call them cuttings or clones in the law? Clones. Okay, clones. Yeah, and they're in the clone stage. Mm -hmm. Once they're rooted, then they're accounted for as a real plant, but they don't need a tag until they're eight inches tall or eight inches wide. So you basically take a plant, it's rooted, you pot it, whatever your medium is, it grows to eight inches tall or eight inches wide, it's still in the metric as a immature plant or a clone, and then once it's eight inches tall or eight inches wide, there has to be a tag associated with it, and it has to be um, attached to the plant, so you can't take it off right. the plant. Mm -hmm. That is basically gets you into the vegetative state of the plant. Now you at that point will actually switch it to vegetative in the program on the computer. Okay, and register the plant. Yeah, well, it's 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 it, once you associate a tag with it, the tags are registered when they send them to you. So as soon as you associate a tag with the plant, it's already got an RFID tag that the state knows it sent you and sure. is, is already like in the system. They probably pre put them in the system for you. It's pretty cool. Right. So basically, if you go to type in the serial number of a plant tag that isn't there, it won't even show up in the computer because the state has to issue you the tags that have the serial numbers on them already. Right. That's a little complicated, but 
That's just because we're stoned, probably. No, no, no. You did that great, man. That's great. I'm, I'm following you. I'm learning some stuff here. So now we've entered the vegetative program on the software. Yep. And you will, at that point, have to designate what room it's in again. So it's probably going to go from maybe a clone room to a veg room. You have those rooms labeled, pre-labeled in your program. And so you just say it went from the clone room to the veg room. While it's in the veg room and it's got a tag on it, it's completely compliant and ready to go as far as the state's eyes. Besides, when you switch it into flower, you need to t tell the state that it goes from the veg room to the flower room. And then it stays in the flower room until harvest, which is when it starts to get a little more complicated. And upon harvest time, you go in, you cut down the plant, and you weigh the entire plant whole. Then you go into metric and you tell the plant its entire wet weight. The, the part that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me is that you can wet trim or dry trim and input the same amount of information, but you still have to weigh the plant wet. And so there's a huge discrepancy if you were going to dry trim your marijuana because you weigh it as a, as a whole while it's wet. And then when it's completely dry, you go to trim it and there's like your stems are completely hollowed out. Everything's completely dry and you have absolutely no moisture weight in it. So there's like this major discrepancy. You can also weigh it wet and whole and still it's just basically to kind of a gap in the system. And I guess that's just my own problem I have with it that I shouldn't go too far into. All right. Well, let's, let's keep going. For awesome. So you weigh the plant whole, record that weight, then you trim it and you have to separate all your non-usable leaf, which is waste, big leaves, all your usable sugar leaf, which is trim, all your stems and all your flower. You take that all those pieces and you don't have to weigh any of that once you've weighed the plant wet whole until it's dry. So then you wet, hang it all up on hangers, dry it all the way you would normally dry your marijuana. And then when the, when the marijuana is dry, you take the flower off the stem and you weigh just the buds. That goes into a package as a flower package. And, you know, you would fill up a jar, designate the 97 grams you got off the one plant of sour diesel and tell the state that you have a package that's 97 grams and it will receive a, a package tag at this point. So the tag that was on the plant for the entire life of it is now trash and discarded. And there's a package tag on the plant, on the jar of marijuana where all the dry product goes. That's all the good stuff. Then anything else you're going to use for concentrates, which would be either sugar leaf or non-sugar for some people, but mostly sugar for people, you bag that sugar leaf up and then that gets another package tag as trim. Then all the rest is weighed and, and regarded as waste. Then you have to take all that waste, and I spoke about this a minute ago, but this is one of the crazy fun laws of Colorado uh, marijuana industry, is we have to then take the waste and grind it all up to where it's unusable and unrecognizable. Those are the two terms of the law that are very uh, important to them. Okay, so so you've got some waste product. Yep, stems and big leaf. You grind it up, and what do you mix it with? So you, there's actually a list in the law of the things you're allowed to use. The, the majority of people grow in cocoa, so it makes very easy sense just to yeah, use your okay. cocoa root balls as a um, as you know your mixer. But it has to be 51% non-marijuana product, 49% marijuana product. It's very specific in the law. So you have to use more than half of non-marijuana product and co-mingle it to where you couldn't tell what it was, unusable, unrecognizable, 
is to you know you couldn't say that's a pot leaf and be able to use it. So most people have gas mulchers, send all their stems through the gas mulcher, send all their leaf through the gas mulcher, which should be enough to throw it away right there in my opinion. Then you have to mulch up all your root balls. Then you have to take a shovel and mix the two together, you know, until you have 51% non-marijuana product. Then you have to shovel that shit into a dumpster, and then that dumpster has to be locked and secured in a fenced-in area with cameras on it. <laughs> like it <laughs> and is it it and the dumpster just goes to the garbage at that point? Yeah, totally. Yeah, most people are hopefully composting at this point. Uh, it's an option that so you cool. are allowed to use, and you know, don't have to, unfortunately. But I, most of the clients I work with use a compost company. There's actually some companies that will come right to your front door and pick it up and do that entire process I just told you for a very hefty fee. <laughs> right. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so that's the life of a tag plant. So i got a couple questions here. You have some clones that you've tagged. you got some plants that are in the vegetative state that you've tagged. You've got plants in the grow room that are flowering that you've tagged, mm -hmm. right? So inspector comes in, right? How do they, how do they count all the plants and make sure you have so your number of plants that you're supposed to have in there? How do they keep track of it? They have, they're supposed to have an RFID tag reader that they could walk into the room, shoot a gun, and it'll bring up every plant in the room. Uh, they didn't account for the <laughs> fact that they did RFID tag readers didn't work when there was ballast in the room. Oh, <laughs> and uh, every every grow room I've ever been to has some ballast in it. Right, so electronic interference. Fortunately, though, the first phase of the process was a failure for those guys. Um, they do, though, have metric, which is the program we keep speaking about. So it's all database entry. Yep. And right. so, and you can actually, you know, you have to input every single plant into it until right. it doesn't make the room. And like you just scan it with a scanner. Yep. One at a time. One at a time. Yeah. And those seem to work fine. The RFI, so a scanner being a barcode scanner, and there's a barcode on every plant versus an RFID reader, which is the little electronic tag that's inside of the tag or electronic chip that's inside of the tag that wasn't able to work with ballast. So this is the seed to sale that everybody talks about. Yep. That's what you just spoke of. Right? That's, that's seed to store and store to, store to stale right, okay. is just a little bit more that I won't claim to be an expert in, but is a very complicated part of the metric program. Um, it starts to get really, really tough uh, to, to kind of keep tabs on something that is fluctuating in weight in a really dry atmosphere being Colorado, you know, no, no humidity. And as you open the jars and sell the pot, you know, you lose moisture weight and they're trying to regulate it all the way down to the single grape, like we talked about. So unfortunately, right. um, you know, it starts to make a lot of discrepancies. If you have one complaint about the system that would make it better, do you have just one? Is there one? I would say, I've already said it, is they're trying to regulate it, like making us count the grapes in the wine industry. And just if they would it. just let us sell, you know, regulate it like wine, whereas how many bottles did you sell? How many ounces? How many pounds? Right. Versus, you know, how many, how, grams? How, how many grams did you grow? Because they're so worried about the diversion of marijuana, where in fact, no one would be stupid enough to want to sell it illegally, in my opinion, because this is such a beautiful thing to be a part of. Why would you screw that up, you know? Right, right. Is it hard, is it hard to enter the marketplace to be in the legal, illegal cannabis grower? To be a grower, yes, absolutely. To sell it. 
yeah, there, there's, there's a way in to be a part of the industry always. You can always get a job as a trimmer. If you're the best trimmer there, you can get a job as a grower. If you're the best grower there, you can get the head grower job. You can evolve yourself, but it's, uh, right. it's definitely tough but, to get. But they just won't let anybody in as, as you have to uh, have some type of run a background check on you, right, yeah. in order to get a, become a badged employee in the yeah. cannabis industry. That's a major right. Example. Right, Ma- major deal right there. But yep. I do know that uh, fifteen or sixteen thousand people were had badges yeah. as of January first, two thousand sixteen, which is amazing. Right? Yeah, yeah, 16, yeah. Sixteen thousand. Hey, man, it was up from like seven thousand the previous year. Yep. Right, because uh, of recreational cannabis yep. increased that many more jobs Families in the area. So many of them is Denver. Like we've seen the growth here. Oh my, oh my gosh, God. the growth is like the 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 parking's a little difficult now. It's hard to get <laughs> houses. Everyone who is seems to be moving to Denver. One of the reasons is legal cannabis. Absolutely right. It's like you could work at an in, uh, insurance company or a bank anywhere in the country, and they have an office here. You just think, wow, yeah, maybe maybe I should move to Denver. Maybe yeah. I should move to Colorado. I like to call it uh, trickle up economics. Trickle up. It's it used to be inexpensive here, but it's it's becoming to be a, in a, an expensive city. Yeah, right. Great place to live, though, man. Oh, it's, I love it here, man. Malha city, city. Malha city, coolest right. city in America. Yeah, the locals, you know, they gripe about the influx of of visitors of new people coming to move here yeah oh yeah right most of those people have come from outside the area like myself and you yeah a lot of transplants out here (laughs) there's lots of transplants there's not so many california natives anymore yeah right i uh many people from all over the world have come here for the cannabis movement for legal cannabis i've met so many interesting people it's really incredible like the explosion of intellect and technology and ideas and Absolutely. growth right you get people talk from about nanotechnology to business law and politics Absolutely. all in like five and minutes guys like chip and i get to have conversations with them now because marijuana is relevant is anything they have to talk about and oh yeah it's it's great and uh we've had such like a long time of being involved in the cannabis industry in some way, but not being able to talk about it, right? And not being able to speak yeah. to people publicly about it. Now our information is is valued. And rare. Um, and, and rare. I mean, both of us have a lifetime of involvement in the cannabis industry in some manner. Many people want to get involved in the cannabis industry right now. Uh, it, it's hard to gap 20 or 30 years of knowledge. Absolutely. Right? And with just a business plan. Yeah. Right. And a pocket full of money. And a pocket full of money. <laughs> yeah. You you see it. You see people come in and invest money into new businesses. You've seen people succeed. You've seen people fail. Oh yeah. Right. What's a what's the biggest hurdle to overcome? Greed. Like, <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to say that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Greed. So well, Wow, well, that, that's such a different topic. But let's talk about greed. 
Yeah. Right. Everyone thinks they're going to make a million dollars growing weed. Yep. Right. And, and we already talked about it. You're growing money, or you're growing weed. You're growing money, you're growing weed. Yep. And right. Quality cannabis will make you enough money. Yes, sir. It hasn't led me astray yet. You know, right. I'm still eating well. It's uh, it's something that I do feel. Bring, do you bring any weed over here? I did not bring any weed oh, over here. Damn. Yeah, I um, should have. All right. I'm slacking. That's cool. That's cool, bro. <laughs> Other people, when Awkward they come to the show, they bring the weed. Podcast. <laughs> I thought you would, uh, you know. Yeah. I just thought you'd be one of those people for some reason. I had. I brought weed over here yesterday for the for the uh, the prep session. Yeah. You did. You did. Thank you. That was good. Yeah. It was good. But yeah, I'd say, you know, people people who are the biggest thing I'm seeing with big industry right now, because this is now marijuana industry, as we keep talking about evolution, is it's big industry now. Um, there's people in Denver who've made it with the mom and pop approach with no business plan, with just leasing a building in two thousand bucks in your pocket. Yep. I've heard the stories. Yep. I, they were they were my customers. I and saw then, those people. I hope I'll those give people. them shout outs, man. The guys, like, you yeah. know, like there's there's I, there's a hundred different dispensaries of people that are absolute millionaires and and stumbled Made upon it, it. Happen, but they all did it, risking their neck, growing weed, being right time, passionate, right place. being passionate about. Could have gone cool. to jail at the time. Yep. Absolutely. Right. Had, you know, had every reason not to do it and did it and got successful for it. And if you go around like a quote unquote pioneers group of people in the industry, you could sure not know that there are some of the leaders of an industry because it's people, you know, from every walk of life who were, were willing to roll the dice and not be greedy and, and got blessed for it, you know? And as we've become a big industry and big money's come into it, you know, people can try and hide behind the whole hippie vibe of marijuana or the whole feel good. You know, right, we're trying yeah. to do this because it's a beautiful plant, but hey, bro, they can't go more than 10 minutes you know, without this talking $500 about round. Yeah, they can't. Everybody, you know, like it's, I, I it never fails. You meet with an owner of a company and they're like, you know, thinking about going into marijuana. We're really all about quality. We want to do everything the best. How much can we get? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> well, how do you need to know how much you can get if you only want the chronic? You know, like sometimes the chronic's not as much. It's yeah, a, you know, you don't get that, as big right? deals, but people are all about bottom dollar, you know, and that's that's something that we're trying to really, my company and all my friends and the people I'm associated with are right. trying to sift our way through. Yeah, this is something we talk about. Like, is it is it Budweiser or is it, you know, Pinot from Anderson Valley? Absolutely. Is it? you know, high-end product, or is it just mass-produced? Totally. You know. And, and we're the minority, you know, like the majority of people are going to be interested in going out and getting a good Budweiser, something that they know is consistent. They With marijuana, they don't want to get too high or not get high enough, so they want a consistent right. thing. Absolutely, and, absolutely. I mean, that's where the, imp, the import weed market has gone for years, Yep, is people just like to get a little high, Right. Uh, you know, just after work, working hard, the doctors and lawyers and carpenters and such. And they come home and they take three hits, you know, on their joint that they rolled four days ago. Yep. They put it back in the ashtray and they go into the house and have a great evening. They've relaxed and the midnight toker. Yeah, the midnight <laughs> toker. Absolutely. You know, that's most of America. That's most of the world. Yeah. People say it to me all the time. Oh, your stuff's too strong, Chip. Yeah. Right? And People tell you that totally. too. Oh, is that Bickle weed? No, I don't know. And that's why... I just have one hit. That's, that's why we weed. have to, you know, that's why we have to be good at what we're good at. And also, 
you know, know, know that we're not, we ain't many. There's not a whole of a lot of us out there that are like, I want to get blasted off at eight o'clock in the morning all day long <laughs> until I go to bed, you know, like, and I'm not saying you have to do that every day, but if, you know, if you want to and you can function right and be a productive member of society, then you go get it, you know? Yeah, yeah go for it. Go yeah. for it. Supply and demand. That's right. Supply and demand. Yeah, this one thing that people underestimate on the cannabis market right now is how much demand is increasing. Yeah, and how much supply right. is increasing too. It's, it's well, a funny absolutely. race. It yeah. is a funny race. It is a funny race. But locally, uh, there's there's might maybe an infinite market, but in the visitors that you see come here. Oh, unbelievable. Right, it's unbelievable. All walks of life. People who've never used you know, cannabis or haven't smoked a joint in 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years. Our nation wants to get stoned. Yeah. Everybody Even, there's stoned. The one thing I've noticed about people coming here is there's so many people who won't smoke marijuana, even though they can get it illegally where they live and probably understand that they're not doing anything morally wrong. They won't break the law. And, you know, it's, it's a funny thing because I, you know, I, my whole life was more than willing to break the law if morally it wasn't something that I had a problem with. And the, the easiest one for me there is marijuana. I never found that marijuana was anything wrong with it from the day I tried it. And so morally I had no problem with purchasing it illegally. And all these people that are coming from out of town will only do it here, will only purchase it here because they're not breaking the law and they have no other problems with it. Our country needs to legalize marijuana. Legalize you know? it. That's right. Who's listening? Go and tell your politicians. I'll advertise <laughs> it. Come on, everybody. Legalize <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about the supply, man. Here in Colorado, that's one of the conversations right now. It's wholesale market is changing yeah. rapidly. Yeah. Right. That is due to the fact we dipped into it a little bit earlier, but vertical integration, the 70-30 law, was taken away from the recreational marijuana industry um, in October. And you help me with the dates, someone who's editing or something. But blah, I believe, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right. I believe it was October we'll fact checker on the website. And this is up. Um, it, it, but basically that meant that you no longer had to produce any weed and you could just purchase all your weed from somewhere else if you wanted to. I think this was a huge advantage for people that were terrible at growing pot because they could all of a sudden get all their product somewhere else. Um, what they did along with getting rid of vertical integration is they started to allow people to purchase licenses for cultivation only. And that is where big industry started to happen. Um, that's when basically that means that I can come in with my buddies, build a big, huge greenhouse, warehouse, you know, big, marijuana huge production is how facility. Big. What's a big one? 150,000 square feet. 150,000 square feet of greenhouse. Yeah. That's like, that's, that's, that's a size. monster. That is for recreational three acres, wholesale. two acres, two yeah. plus acres, two and a half acres, two and a half acres, all for production of wholesale marijuana. You have no longer, do you have the responsibility or the burden of doing anything past growing it, putting it in a bag and shipping it off and having it being sold. Right. I think you're, a lot you're of growing people, lettuce, you're growing yeah, cabbages precisely. And you, you're out of the retail market and the vertical integration that was forced upon people earlier allowed 
a real crazy parallel because you could be the best grower in the world and have no clue how to run a retail store and you could be the best retailer in the world and have no clue how to grow marijuana. And so right. there was a huge discrepancy. Now that's wiped out, but that allows big industry who never wanted to get involved in necessarily the retail side of things. <laughs> that allows these people to come in and just make huge production facilities. And to an investor, to a businessman, to an outsider who was maybe going to roll the dice but was not sure, this was a sure thing. At the same time, about six months later, they started allowing out-of-state investing in Colorado. And that really blew the lid off things because now all of a sudden there's a lot of risk takers out there who you know have sat around and watched this thing get big for a few years. And so they want to dive into it head over heels and you know make the biggest – play they can with a bunch of investors all of a sudden we've got a ton of supply come flooding our state there's countless counties that were issuing anybody a license for a wholesale production pueblo, pueblo county um you know there's there's i'm sure you're more familiar than i am actually with that type of thing but it's just the lid blew off of it and everybody and their uncle is building out a massive facility right now. And it's exciting, but it also leads me to wonder where it's going, what's going to happen. Where it's all going to go. Because yeah, when you look at the entire dollar amount of marijuana sold in Colorado in a year, and then these people's business plans, and you see that they have it like, you know, their bottom dollar, this $20 million a year is going to be like, 20% of the entire market share. You just think that, and you see 20 of them a week, you start to scratch your head like, well, either the market share has to increase to $700 million for their these people's business plans to look, you know, where they don't have 20% of an entire market or somebody's going to fail. So do you know how many people have uh, licenses here? In could grow licenses in Colorado. I do not know the answer. It's to that. just a few thousand people. It's not that many. Last I looked, it was two thousand people had a license to either grow or sell cannabis. Yeah, they're actually only about half the counties even allow you to do it. Mm -hmm. Most of the state doesn't even allow you to do it. Most of the uh, western side, the western slope, as we call it here, the red side, the red side. <laughs> They don't care much for ganja over there, brah. Yeah, they uh, they want to keep their street and cities clean. Hell yeah. Um, I wonder fine. if they're experiencing the same type of ep economic growth. You know, that's something I'm going to look into, man. I'm going to look into see what kind of economic growth is going on over there. I mean, they were a breadbasket of sorts. They grow a lot. Yeah. Right? Ironically, some of the best parts of the state to grow, you know, outdoor cannabis aren't allowed. Could you imagine shh, some Palisades? Shh, edit that. <laughs> okay. no 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 absolutely stone fruit areas oh man totally it's you know there's heartbreaker. some yeah there's a uh, great cannabis production areas all through the western side all through the western slope yep great production areas it's unfortunate that some of those counties can't involve themselves in it yeah right the they're growing hemp over there though they're growing some hemp over there are they yeah sure sure nice. it's in you can grow hemp in most counties of Colorado, I believe. That's awesome. I'm uh, definitely not a hemp specialist. Yeah. And I mean, technically, you could grow cannabis in, in all counties in Colorado. It's just most counties decided. Local uh, jurisdictions. Those local no. jurisdictions, yeah. and they decided their own fate, so, so to speak. For those who wouldn't understand that, the entire state, the state as a whole regulation department said, hey, 
marijuana is legal, they also wrote into the law that any local jurisdiction can override it if they so choose. So, you know, Chip is right. There's probably, it's more like a 75, 25, maybe even 80, 20, 80% of the people have not approved it and only 20% have. Ironically, there's some small towns in Colorado. One of my favorites is uh, Oak Creek out by Steamboat. And they're such cool people. They had a small little town. They didn't have a school. They didn't have, you know, or the school they liked at least. And, you know, the roads were a lot of them weren't paved. And they said, well, hell, let's legalize marijuana. And they have probably got six or seven new facilities being built there right now in like a tiny little town. And it's going to bring so much money to them and so much taxes and, um, you know, make a better place for these people to live. So, why, you know, why not help yourself out? You know, there's a, such this myth that marijuana is bad because what example does it give the children? Yeah. But here in Denver, it's given millions of dollars back to schools and education. Absolutely. Right. And in this town you're talking about, they're going to improve their educational platform. Yep. Right. And, and it's I, for the children. That's why we smoke, isn't it, Bickle? That's, it's for the kids. It's for the kids. Big love to kids. Yeah, big, big. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> but you know i think the best way to put it is i heard a politician speaking to a room full of people about marijuana and he said treat it like alcohol parents you know do you have your liquor sitting out to where your kids can get to it then it's your fault you know put your weed away and that's yeah talk I, to your kids talk to your children yeah exactly right it's, don't hide it it's one of those things if you hide it from them they're just going to want to know and do it and if you can just be responsible and teach them that it's here it like is alcohol. easier to talk to your kids about cannabis yeah. though in Colorado. Yeah. Cause yeah. cannabis is legal. Yeah. Recreational cannabis is legal. <laughs> right. Which is adult use. That's what they're calling the new bill in California. Adult use. Yep. Right. And that's, that's really the appropriate well term. Absolutely. Adult use of cannabis. Yes, sir. Right here. They use marijuana to define it in the law. Yeah. Right. Cause that's the legal term. Marijuana. Yep. Marijuana. Right. 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 It scares right. people. Scares them off. Marijuana. All right, well, hey, let's have a break there. It's Real Dirt with Chip Baker. When we get back, we'll roll another one up. Matt Bickle. He's a toker. He's a midnight toker. I don't think I got the lyrics right on that. He's a joker. He's a smoker. He's a midnight toker. Sometimes the other hours too. Yeah, and in between those hours. 
And lay. Let's roll another one up, Matt. Look Word. what I got. Kirkwood OG. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of the other cool guests brought this by last week and left it. What an amazing guest. So I'm breaking up the weed. So you're going to break up the weed. Let's talk about this. Do you know this strain? The Kirkwood OG? I honestly don't know it. I've smoked it. Um, I like the bubble hash from it. but I This ha- is Natural Remedies, right? Yes, sir, it yeah, is. Natural Remedies. Yeah, Jeff over there, he's a good buddy of mine. Buddy, Mr. Dank. Mr. Dank, Jeff Dank. He's an awesome grower. Uh, I hope to have him on the show in the future. Um, I, I've just reached out to him. He's, he says yes, but I know he's got a, a kid. and He just had twins also. Oh, my gosh. As he has got his hands full. Yeah. He's a propagator, huh? Yeah. Old Jeff Date. Jeff Dank, propagating people and plants. He made the golden goat. A lot of people are very familiar with that genetic. The goat. Goat, bro. Goat, bro. I love the goat. So the Kirkwood, do you know about this weed? I don't. I wish I had something. It smells good, though, doesn't it, when you? Yes, sir, it does. It has a complex. It's one of the more diesel-y than lemony OGs is what I would say. Like uh, L.A. Kush or Candy Kush, you're going to taste a lot of lemon, and this is really, really more of like the sour diesel kind of stinky armpit mm, smell. Yeah, it is skunky like that. I, I, that's why, maybe that's why I like this one. Yep, chem dog. diesel-like, diesel. chem dog-like. Me and Chip are chem dog diesel type of guys. Yeah, without that chem dog, without that diesel. If you ever want to stop by and smoke either one of us out, please do chem dog diesel. That's right. Only the best, please. We could do a whole segment on how I believe that Sour diesel help legalize marijuana in Colorado just about as much as any other reason. Obviously, I wouldn't take credit away from Mason and Steve and Christian and Brian, but um, no, you're right. Like uh, all that sour diesel was some of the first readily available great weed that yep. people were introduced to. It was like skunk one, blueberry, bubble gum, and you know, a lot of really good commercial marijuana that, that was skunky and tasted good. And sour diesel came around and left this flavor in your mouth for an hour and a half after you smoked it. And people to this day, I mean, everyone I know pretty much that lives out here that's been a part of marijuana was living somewhere else, smoked it and moved here immediately, rented a house and put 10 lights in their basement. Right, like Denver was, Diesel, Denver right. Diesel. Denver diesel. Here's the broke up wheat Yeah, di- diesel is a predominant crop in Northern California as well because uh, it's high demand. Yep. All over the country, all over the world. I'm sure people love diesel. I can't tell you where I was standing when I smoked my first hit of any other strain except for sour diesel. And where were you standing in the Cervantes, rain? Cervantes, which is a live music venue here in Denver. And I was standing there next to my friend Fleeb Keith Thomas, who's an amazing musician and bass player around here. And he handed me a bowl of sour diesel and I inhaled and exhaled and started looking for the ounce in the mail after that. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it was the best weed I'd ever seen and tasted in my life. I, um, you know, I I feel like it's, uh, it's one of the old nostalgic ones, but we don't have to keep keep drooling and salivating over sour diesel anymore. no it's all good i love sour diesel and it, it, it's been around for for years i mean it's existed as a clone for 20 plus years yeah. maybe it's an old school strain now yeah. you know but back in 2000 late 90s it was still up and coming there weren't clone bars and seed companies mm-hmm. and friends who had it yet it yep. was still closely guarded only a few people had it 
Diesel, OG Kush, Bubba Kush, all of those. Yeah. And right. I'd say up until about 2008 or nine, when the big medical revolution happened in Colorado, that it was better than currency. It was better than money. You know, you could I trade mean, your way into anything you that could, way. You could, we would smoke bowls in the car before we walked it's, in somewhere and blow it, it all over ourselves and put a nug in our pocket and walk in places just to stink as bad as you could because you wouldn't have to pay for your meal. You wouldn't have to, the, everybody was dying to get a piece of the weed that smelled like that. Oh, no doubt. Do you remember the basketball game? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Nuggets game. Should you tell the story or me? You know, I think I think we should tell it together. Okay. Right. <laughs> so I had a box to a Nuggets preseason, not even a regular season game. It was a preseason game, and they were playing at the Broomfield Event Center. And so my buddy, it's not a big, you know, nothing to lose your mind over. I'd say there's maybe a total of 15,000 people there. And I invite Chip and Pete to come up, and uh, Chip comes up, and you can take it from here for a minute. So here, here's the way I see it. His Bickle calls me up. He's like, yo, bro, we're going to go to the Nuggets game, man. Let's go puff at the game. I'm like, oh, sweet, dude. We can puff at the game. He's like, sure, bro. We always puff in at the game. <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I, I'd been living in Northern California for a number of years. I literally took him for that when he said we can puff at the game. I meant like outside <laughs> during halftime and shit. <laughs> so... I, I came only slightly prepared. I had five joints in my front pocket. <laughs> Doesn't know about a dupe case, which uh, maybe a lot of people don't know about, but I'm a big fan of the, you know, some sort of smell-proof, waterproof case to put your dubes in. I just had joints in my pocket and yeah. was going to go smoke them. After really, game. really fresh, loud-ass weed. <laughs> so, like, so he's stinking this place up like you wouldn't. I mean, it's like we're the trimming. box. We're in the yeah, box. We're in a box, and it's like we're trimming a five pound fucking harvest in this box. Is what it smells like, and we're not even smoking weed in there. Where you know we would go out at halftime or before the game, we'd smoke plenty. But this smells yeah, like we hadn't smoked any weed. Yeah, not we got a piece because it started as soon as we get in this box. Yeah, right. As soon as we get in it, uh, the the, they they start serving us, and the server comes around, and they make a comment about, yeah. "Oh, hey, you guys can't smoke weed in here." Like, we're, we're like, "Yeah, sure, we're we're not going to smoke weed in here, right?" So my feelings immediately, you know, were hurt because I yeah. thought we we're going to puff weed in this box. <laughs> so at some point, um, it smelled so good in there that the police decided to come see us, and uh, the cops come in, and they're convinced that we've smoked marijuana in the box. Because convinced. It so bad. Convinced. All right. Yeah. All right. Boy, like, who's smoking the marijuana? And they're looking <laughs> in the trash can for fucking <laughs> cashed out bowls. And like, we're like, dude, we really haven't smoked. My favorite part of this story is uh, <laughs> well, Justin Brunson, who's the owner of Old Major and uh, Masterpiece Deli here in Denver, a couple of oh, amazing restaurants. Justin's at the game with us. And he, had he, just decided, got, he had just walked in the door 20 yeah, minutes before. Yeah, and he decides to explain to the police officers that there's no way we were smoking pot, and the way to tell is to smell his hands and shoved his hands <laughs> on this police officer's face, which, like, any years later would have probably got him shot. Yeah. Now, that night, it like, the cop jumped back and, like, was ready to detain him, and Justin's like, smell my hands, man, see? Because, you know, if you've been smoking a bunch of weed, then your hands smell like weed usually. 
So the police, I remember correctly, Justin acted completely wasted though. He oh, went yeah. from sober to like, from like, hey man, what are you guys doing? <laughs> oh, hey man, yeah, we ain't smoking weed, man. We just, uh, just smell the fingers. Yeah. So, long story, uh, we end up, no one gets arrested, no one goes to jail, and we didn't get to smoke weed in the box. But we smoked weed in a lot of boxes, just not during Nuggets games, right. you know, like Pink well, Floyd shows. <laughs> Well, the the way I remember it ending though is is after after uh, you know he had the comp the, the the fingers in the cop's face. He says, "Nah, man, it was those people down there, <laughs> right?" And he points out of the box, and for some reason this made sense to the police because. The, you know, there was this draft that was created every time the door was open. <laughs> so they go look at the people down below us. And they were just the most conservative, you know, people. They were definitely older. They were in suits. You know, there was no way they were the ones with weed. <laughs> it was definitely right. us. But, but for a moment, for a moment, the police thought that it was the people in front of us. One moment in time. One moment in time. <laughs> That's awesome. That was pretty funny. Yeah, you know, ironically, or I don't know if that's the proper use of the phrase, but years later, I was in that same box with you and some of those same people. And now it's 2014, 15, and we're throwing joints to people. Yeah, and we is legal. That was with the Dank guys. We, uh, yeah, Dank. Yeah, totally. Justin. It was their box beforehand. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. Because I got the call. That's who we got the tickets from. Yeah, that's who we the got the kick. Yeah. I got the call a couple of days later, and I was like, "Oh shit, that Sorry, was your guys. box. I did not know that." My bad. My bad. Right. Cops are coming. Yeah. <laughs> I think Greg was like, "I don't care. Smoke me out." <laughs> yeah. Pay me back in weed. <laughs> Oh, here you So uh, it's changed a lot from when it when it started here in 2009. Technology's changed. The politics have changed. The growers the grow, have changed. The gro growers ain't changed. No, they growers in five points don't change. Uh, we talk about this all the time because I'm a technology guy. I build technology for production of this type of stuff. Uh, uh, grow lights, soil, nutrients. Uh, I, I've made all kinds of stuff in the past. Um, uh, Bickle sees all types of new technologies. Um, we also hear all the fish stories of all the technologies and how this technology, this fertilizer, this light is going to increase. Revolution. Your, revolutionize. Uh but uh, there have been some revolutions in this industry. Absolutely. Right? You, earlier, you mentioned uh, a smell, right? Um, you know, previously we didn't have any way to uh, keep the cannabis from smelling because it smells so bad when it's or it smells so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you're when it's flowering, uh, carbon filters came along to counteract that. Did a really good job with legal cannabis, though. People don't care. Yeah, depending on where you're at, um, a lot of. Like I'd say, ninety percent of the grows don't have a smell issue. Um, there's definitely, you know, downtown Denver don't have a smell issue, meaning they don't care. Meaning if they that they're not receiving any stink the block out. Yeah, exactly. Because you'll drive the streets in Denver and it stinks. Reeks of marijuana. Reeks of weed growing. Yeah, I seventy the airport drive. From yeah, the all the industrial areas. Yeah. Right. Oh, it's great. They I love roll it. the windows down. You get year round fragrance. That's right. Right. That's right. 
But yeah, I'd say that, um, you know, a lot of the technology coming into what I see, you know, past smell is a ton of cooling technology, HVAC technology, lighting technology, um, also a ton of IT stuff. Um, you know, I'd say that you know, we're almost probably a little diluted in some of these places as far as you have to go through and sift through a lot of bullshit to find out what's good because we got invaded so fast by so much cool technology, cool industry people. Um, you know, every single person you meet has is selling you something that could revolutionize the entire industry and could be a complete failure. Yeah, we see him in the shop all day. Yeah, and it's our job is kind of, you know, veterans to this thing to sniff it out right sniff it out not get too excited and also not be closed-minded because if if we said fuck this to everything we'd still be growing the way we were 10 years ago and the pot wouldn't get any better and we wouldn't become a more efficient industry and there's definitely a fine line between industry and connoisseur growing and you know i want to take connoisseur growing as far as i can at a producible mass producible level. Now I'm not going to put myself in charge of, you know, facilities that are going two, 300,000 square feet of cultivation. I don't feel like that's my niche or that's my strength, but anybody that wants to keep it, you know, under a hundred and try and grow really quality weed and isn't afraid to put money into the technology to make the room better, to right. make computers do more work then it's, I think it's doable. Right. So that's the secret to growing great cannabis and to grow in bug free cannabis and to grow on multiple crops is being able to control your environment. Exactly. HVAC systems, havoc systems, uh, heating and air systems, yeah. dehumidifying systems, crucial and key in areas like Denver. It's, it's right. Massive. It's hot and it's cold here and you still got to keep your room at 72 degrees. Yeah, right. Through, I mean, what was the temperature season. today? I mean, it's it's, eight, it's it's almost a hundred degrees today. Yep. And six months from now, it might be minus ten. Yep. And you right? got to be prepared for both of those problems. For both of those problems, right? And you know, up until ten years ago, maybe five years ago, would probably be a better way to put it. Most, you know, every single grow was cooled and heated with the same technology that heats and cools your home. Right, absolutely. And your house. Is, Even today, many, many grow rooms are exactly like that. Oh, yeah, most right. of them. You know, whoever, the people right. that don't want to pony up, and that's most people, and the people that have existing with the old technology facilities that they just don't feel necessary to upgrade. And if you can imagine an air conditioner is. Because these built, upgrades are, I mean, it's it's not inexpensive. Hundred to three hundred thousand dollars for to upgrade ten twenty thousand square feet of cultivation. Right. You know, it's three hundred thousand dollars, right? Yeah, it's nothing to to incur that expense because it's it's every single piece of the puzzle has to be changed out for a new one because all of a sudden you know your lights don't work the old vented lights don't work anymore with the new ACs you need to get the new lights that aren't vented that you know put off way more heat and. But with the right amount of HVAC and technology, you can cool much easier. And there's, it's just, it's mm -hmm. a, it's a huge problem that people have something that is up and running and producing marijuana and already paid for, and it's old technology and it's beat up. But it, it's what works, and they don't want to reinvest. Right, right, right. Absolutely, it's paid for, bought and paid for. But literally, it's the difference between like maybe a pound. A light to three pounds, to three of, light. pounds of light. Yep, right, because that is possible. And I mean, 
I, I actually believe 3.9 pounds is as much as I've seen verified. Yeah. Right. But uh, that it that is possible. Certain strains, perfect conditions, awesome Absolutely. grower. But hey, you got to have that premium light, that premium yeah. environment. If it's right. not, it's the technology that gets those numbers. It's not the grower. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's the money you invest into your product that's going to get you those numbers. Not There's nothing I can do. I have a formula that can grow really good weed, but it only grows as much as the environment lets it grow. It's not going to, I can't add some sort of nutrient that's going to make the bud get a pound bigger per light. The only thing I can do is put, make the room cool enough and have the right environment and make it right. Right, we talk about this too. Uh, uh, this is our this is our conversation. Environment, 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 environment. Yep. How are these people fucking up? Environment. How are these people fucking up? Yeah. Environment. Environment and stay right. out of the way. That's what I tell people. <laughs> if you can make a really good environment and stay out of the way, you'll probably and have good genetics. That's probably the last piece of the puzzle. Genetics, genetics, genetics. Oh right. man! But those three things, weed weed grows itself. The shit grows in sidewalks, folks. You know. It's our job to optimize the conditions for it and stay out of the way. Yeah, but it, there is a connoisseur level of it. It, it, it. it weed does grow itself, so to speak, but only when you put the proper technology, the proper environment, uh, the proper thought and care and organization into planning out the cycle. Yep. That's the only way it grows carefree. Absolutely. Right? Or yeah. careless. Now, that's a different story. But, yeah, no. You know, careless is no good. It, it's hard to grow quality quality cannabis in a careless manner absolutely right yep and if you're not the cleanest guy and not the most you know i don't know attention to detail and and cleanliness are things that get looked over so easily here because the irony is is it's not hard to grow shitty weed it's not at all. <laughs> right. If you can sell it, <laughs> yeah, who cares? Yeah. yeah. And, and right? so for the years, mentality. you thought you were an expert because you grew it and you sold it and someone paid you for it and that validated in your head that you grew good weed. Absolutely. But in fact, you're growing shit and people just, you know, are validating you through money. Yeah. Living in Northern California, I saw this happen for years. People from all over the country came there. And wherever they were, they were the shit grower. They had <laughs> yeah. their strain, a skunk one or blueberry, right, which yeah. is so 10 years ago at yeah. that time. And uh, they came into the area, and they're like, oh, man, I grow the dank, I grow the dank. And they immediately get their ass handed to them, right? Uh, the, the quality, the thought of quality is so much higher pace there at yeah. the time than it was any place else and it still is now right the, the demand for quality is is there for sure even though the production's also in northern california as well yeah right it's that uh demand the quality that makes us keep going for it man yeah so we got hvac systems double-ended lights you know full room controls from your cell phone yeah full environmental controls People ask me about LED lights, but you never see those or hardly ever see those. Not really. Right, no. right, right. I they're mean, just there there there's a there LEDs making a run at the industry right now, but it's the same thing that was happening ten years ago with the regular lights, in my opinion. Now this is strictly my opinion, but I just watched the lighting technology change so much and now the double endeds, in my opinion, for me, have risen to the top. They're like kind of the best bang for your buck. 
<clears throat> and now this is happening in LEDs again. Whereas, you know, it, five, six years ago, if I'd have bought every light that sounded like a good idea to me, I think I might have gotten my butt kicked as far as replacing them over and over and over and waiting and holding my breath a little bit and then seeing what comes my way. I feel like, you know, we've gotten to see the cream rise at the top a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. We sell so many double-ended. It's the only thing we sell really these yeah. days. Few people buy the older technology any longer yeah. we have some air-cooled customers don't get me wrong people with low ceilings they're forced into Absolutely. having air-cooled lights as opposed to double-ended um uh, lights well i'm gonna let the cat out of the bag for all you folks that want to know how to get three pounds of light that are sitting there scratching your head is that with old technology a vented hood the the footprint that it puts out would require about three to four of those lights for the same footprint as a double-ended light. And a double-ended light, just imagine you get to take out four lights and put one light in that same place. So where it would take four pounds under those first four lights to get, you know, a pound of light, now you only have to get, you know, if you get four pounds off the same spot, you got four pounds off of one light. So, Right, because it's just square foot. It's yeah, square foot. It's a footprint. And right. you have one light has the footprint of four lights. And so right. you can get one pound of light off of four lights or you can get four pounds of light off of one light. And that's your magic number. And so invest in technology, folks. Invest in technology. Play. It is simple math. There's a bunch of ways that you can say it. But uh, with the DE lights, we promote people all the time, no matter which brand they, they're getting. The 1,000-watt sun, the yield, the phantoms. There's others out there, some I won't mention, but uh, uh, no matter which ones they're getting, we, we suggest four by six area for one light yep. or five by five area for one light. Exactly. Right. And if you do the math on a five by five area, that's 25 square feet, right? And you grow two ounces per square feet under 1,000 watt, that's uh, uh, 50 ounces under one light mm -hmm. um uh and uh, uh help me with my math there what's that 50 ounces um 48 ounces is three pounds 16 ounces is a pound 32 48 ounces is three pounds yeah so three pounds and two ounces if you can just grow two ounce square foot two ounces a square foot yeah right it's simple math. That's crazy. Right, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But tr traditionally, people grew in four-by-four four areas with one light, 1,000-watt light. Yep. And that's 16 square feet times two, 32. That's the same, you know, same same math, same formula, mm -hmm. right? But they're, you know, getting uh, right at right at two pounds. Yeah, and right. that's killing it with For, those old lights. Oh, you're killing it. And killing that, it. you have to have everything right. It's so easy to get less than a pound of light if you're not crushing. And that's what I see most places are at a pound of light with old technology, two pounds of light with new technology. Man, what, what, do, you, what do you think one thing people could change in, in their production? Like it, it, you can't go into all the fertilizer or all the media yeah. or the environment bears or one like tip you could give somebody on like, Hey, if I want to get higher yields, what's the like thing you see people do to increase their yield, increase their humidity. 
um, in here in Denver, especially in controlling Denver. the environment, back yep. to the environment. Exactly. Always I would the environment. Say, I would say environment is the biggest thing. And also one from left field is I always tell growers, stop trying to be an artist. Like, you know, you, you I feel like they have this canvas and they think they're going to paint their perfect picture on it. And it's like, if you can just reproduce the steps, if you can do the things that, you know, that make it successful every time and not try and change the process every time to have a unique art to it, if that's, that's how you have to approach, you know, getting good numbers out of large scale marijuana facilities. There is a process that's happened already before you and ahead of you. And if you can, you know, adapt to that. And it doesn't have to be any specific one process, just, you know, something that your companies used, your facilities used that worked because there's so many problems, even within a single facility, so many curveballs with, you know, in every little microclimate that, um, you know, stick to something easy and don't try and be the, the magic man. Magic man. You're right. Everybody wants to pull out the magic. And wants to find something at the grocery store on the shelves that's got the coolest looking bottle that they think Absolutely is going to be the newest, best stuff. Yeah, and and there's people out there selling, and and once it works for you, you become a salesman. And so you know, and the fact is, oh, the, yeah. the guy selling it to you, who it worked for, really is selling it, and it really did work for him. And so you just got to be careful, man. It's a slippery slope, and right um, when you change too many factors, you don't know what you changed. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. What's the most common grow technique? You see, yeah. Well, funny enough, most people are growing with your lights and your soil blend. Uh, <laughs> I would say that you know, like we spoke about the double enders, the everybody's switching to those. Uh, the only thing you have to do is be able to catch up with the heating and air conditioning because right, they're, they're a little bit harder to keep cool, but totally worth it because you can take so many uh, more lights out and light a room with less. And then most people are using the the cocoa fiber um, you perlite. Know, perlite mix that you made, and it's just absolutely a crusher. I think the ability to get to dry your plants out um, is something that people are finally catching up on. And Well, I wouldn't say everybody, but a lot of the wise guys are realizing that you can't keep a plant soaked and saturated with the high PPM right. all day long and expect it to do good. Do you see straight cocoa out there? You do. You do as much as... I'd say, you know, a third is straight cocoa, and then two-thirds is your perlite cocoa mix. Okay, awesome. Most of that stuff relies on chemical fertilizer, though. Yeah. Right. Oh, I'd say all of it does. All you of know? it does. There's some people, like, trying to top feed with uh, earthworm castings and that use a compost tea from time to time in it, but I'd say that 90 to 95% of what goes into the cocoa is uh, fertilizer. Fertilizer, synthetic fertilizer. Yeah. We sell lots of house of garden. Yeah. Uh, lots of botanic air product. Yeah. I've been using a house and garden hybrid mix for probably over 10 years that we've been slowly adjusting right. and, and working out a formula with it. And, it's House and Gardens A and B, but we use, you know, a, a few different products from a few different people and some of the House and Garden stuff and not some of the House and Garden stuff. Right. Yeah. House and Gardens, great product, uh, incredible instructions. Yeah. Uh, Steve Geeter, he's on the show. He was on one of the earlier episodes. Yeah. Uh, we didn't even go into this on that show, but I know he created that nutrient formula and built that whole system originally That's awesome. for the U.S. Now they own it and it's in Humboldt County. Yeah. Yeah, they're kicking He's done out. well for himself, man. And and I would, if I was... And for the industry. Yeah. 
almost everybody I know is using some form of it or, you know, part of the recipe. Right. Right. There's, there's a little bit of everything though. Right. Mm -hmm. People making their own concoctions. You see it on the large, large scale facilities. Right. Uh, Blending their own soil, blending their own nutrients. Yep. You have to almost, when you start looking at a business plan and, like we talked about a long time ago, that the profit margins were at 90% when you were vertically integrated and growing you all your own in 2010. And now the profit margins are much smaller. Uh, people are finally just reaching out for realistic ones. And an easy way to do that is cutting production costs and producing your own salts and mixing your own dirt. Right. Absolutely. A little, you got to just whole another beast, whole another industry for sure. You have yeah. to develop for yourself. That's what happens with industry, those. You start to grow, yeah, and you need your own supply, packaging product or pallets, and mm-hmm. you decide to build that. Yeah, right. And Same Rockefeller. thing with the cannabis. Yeah, yeah. So did Rockefeller, right? Yep. Absolutely. So we have gone over so much stuff today, man. We have gone over the politics, the history, the technology, the money, the greed. I, this is—I absolutely believe this is going to be one of my most listened to and re-listened to broadcast. And we haven't even gotten to what you are an expert in, <laughs> right? Every every one of my show has a featured expert, and we've had so much other stuff to chat about. But you you are a connoisseur of concentrates, I would say of, so. of hashishes, of oils, yes, of waxes, yes, and and, and uh, it, you've been this for a long time. I know people have been into this, uh, started beginning to concentrates, waxes, and chatter. The, the newest thing. Absolutely. Right. But but I know you were one of the first people to introduce the vaporization technique that you use, the dabbing technique to me yeah. years ago. I uh I definitely was lucky enough to learn about it at, at a pretty early age. We I fell in love with Moroccan hash over in Amsterdam and Double O. My Double O my uh, tolerance was so low at that age that like I couldn't hardly smoke the shit, you know, it just like, it was like taking sleeping pills basically. (laughs) And uh, I got to a point where I knew it tasted better. I knew the high was a little bit more uplifting and I didn't know anything else besides, you know, I wanted as much hash as I could. I've, I've always gone to Amsterdam, would still go. Um, I'll put a shout out to the noon. It's a, it's a coffee shop right behind the Rijksmuseum. And they sell big, huge blocks of Moroccan hash, and they cut it off with a machete, and you can buy sticks of it. And you basically light it on fire like a candle and then blow it out and smear it on your hand like an eraser. And then take that, because it's really hard and solid, and take that and sprinkle it on a joint or on some tobacco. And it is just an absolutely incredible, uplifting buzz. And that's kind of what made me fall in love with it at a young age. And then we always made bubble hash, growing and a lot of growers for years i mean i can't tell you how many growers i know that have thrown away millions of dollars worth of trim because they saw no value in it they were making so much money off the flower they couldn't look past you know the flower and they just tossed the trim in the trash and we used to literally get people's trim for free make bubble hash out of it and smoke it and uh again you know i didn't know anything about percentages at that time i'm a young kid and you know now we know through technology that 
the best weed on the planet's you know around 30 percent thc and that some good bubble hash is 90 percent thc and all of a sudden it's a no-brainer that why it would made so much sense back then but uh we always smoked bubble hash and loved it and then came the old butane hash which you know everyone is very familiar with and just to do a little explaining of terminology i like to do this for pretty much everyone i meet that doesn't know is that the word hash is like in the same sense that marijuana is called cannabis, bud, herb, dank, nugget, pot, you know, on and on and on. The same thing with hash is that hash is just the crystals off of marijuana. And hash is oil, earl, shatter, wax, butter, what any other name that you can think of that you've heard that you think is something Extract, else besides hash yeah it's just hash it's right. the crystals it's off the pot chip knows this very well but i think it's something that is overlooked a lot to, with people and so i think it's worth explaining so yeah it's um, complex it's complex terminology yeah we exactly yeah that's that'll be the next segment of it nice <laughs> when we get when we go deep yeah when we but go deep. um right now i think that you know basically BHO and then CO2 uh, oil both kind of really did revolutionize marijuana. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's not just the dabbing culture, but the vape pens yep. to be able to like have some concentrated cannabis and take a hit of it wherever you go. Yeah. And, you know, hash has been like the leader in cannabis consumption for thousands of years yeah. because it was easier to store. Yep. Right. You know, flowers of marijuana, only cannabis, only last for a short period of time. Yeah. No matter what you do to it. And a real simple way I like to explain that what hash and flour is, is that it, uh, flour is plant matter <clears throat> and then hash is the crystals on the plant matter. And so, you know, a good way to explain it is we could go out in your yard right now and pick up a handful of grass and smear some hash on it, and that's bud. And, you know, if you're able to take that those crystals off of that flower and smoke the THC without having to combust the plant matter, you have a much cleaner way of smoking and a much more concentrated effect and also much more concentrated size or volume of your package, which is yeah. what you were just talking yeah. about. And it's definitely a different chemical reaction than smoking flour, yeah. whole plant matter. Yeah. Right. Than just the concentrated THC. Yeah. And traditionally, hash was just the crystals, right, that yep. were pulled off the buds or the leaves in some manner, either by sieving them or hand rubbing them or washing them off. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure there's several million other techniques that my re re our listeners will. Uh, Give us what when they listen to this. Keith, you didn't say what this, about bro. Keith, man. Yeah, right, man. We're rocking double O. So, uh, uh, but the new technology really use some type of solvent, mm -hmm. right? Makes a really pure extract of this prop of THC of the from the plant matter. Yes. So it's not just the crystals anymore. Yeah. It's the whole plant matter. Totally. Right. And they get terpene complex, which are all the secondary compounds responsible for the flavor and the smell. Yeah. Right. They can isolate all the different kinds. They can, they can remove the terpenes and reintroduce them. And they, I mean, you'll definitely, and I'm sure your listeners will get an earful from uh, another expert way over my head in the production of it and the, the science of it. I can tell you just as a smoker and as a connoisseur that, 
for me, it's always been about flavor and the best flavor on the planet is a good low temperature hit of concentrate. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think anybody would That's argue great. that because you can take away all the plant matter <laughs> flavor and all the, you know, the carbs. Did you, you bring some over? You know, I didn't, bro. So for everyone who, who's hating on me right now, I live four blocks from Chip. And so if we needed to, like, push pause and take our headphones off, I have, like, 65 yeah, yeah, yeah. kinds right, of hash right, right, right. He's bragging. If I yeah. called him out on that, he'd only have, like, 12. Actually, I'm... Around the world. Around the world. Around the world is taking a dab of every kind of hash you have at your house and... There was a time when it was a it was a pretty big feat at my house. Yeah, it's kind of like a funneling a keg at a you know a keg stand funnel or something, <laughs> right? Yeah, something like that. Something Holding like your that. breath, a keg yeah. stand funnel. So the really the new rise in concentrates is this solvent extraction, which is either CO two which is a gas, but at pressure, it acts as a solvent, mm -hmm. or it's alcohol of some sort, butane, butane of some sort, propane of some sort, yep. uh, or, or there's new technologies, old technologies maybe, of, of water pressure, heat. Yep. Uh, all, all of these things now are yielding this extract. Yeah. Rosin. Rosin's um, pressed out, so rosin, it's like a heat press. Heat press, you know, uh, uh, a full melt bubble and I mean oh man full melt bubbles awesome and they just some of the best cleanest hash going it's just water extracted yep right and then you can make rosin out of full, full, with full melt bubble yeah, right, right. where you take the bubble thing. hash and press it out and press the oils out of it which is very tasty very tasty but you get to smoke all of these things on a how do you explain this to someone who doesn't know? It's the, a dab rig. What is a dab? So 50% of the people listening will know what a hot knives are and 50% won't. But if you've ever taken two knives and put like them on a the stove and heat them up and then put some weed in between them or some hash in between them and then inhale the heat, you basically have a heating element, something that's hot, and then it's hotter than the whatever you're trying to smoke and then you put what you're trying to smoke on there and it melts it. And that's what dabbing is. Um, it with is this concentrated. Absolutely. Right. With the concentrated hash or marijuana. And so you take a small, the reason it's actually called dabbing is because you take a small dab piece, like a tiny little dab of it. And then you also dab it onto the top of the heating element. But yeah. what you're doing Pencil is, prick. yeah, you're taking something quartz titanium glass that you can smoke this marijuana off of that won't burn that can hold heat you heat it up to a certain temperature i prefer a very low temperature because it preserves the flavor so much more and then you add the concentrate to the heating element and it and inhale at the same time and you breathe the smoke off of it and that's what gets you stoned and it also tastes absolutely phenomenal Really stoned, though. Do yeah, you remember really. your first dab? Tell me about your first dab. First dab was in a hotel room, and it was the, uh, if anyone remembers, there was a glass stick, and you would heat the glass stick up, and then you had a bowl that looked just like a marijuana bowl, except for there was no hole in the bottom of it. There was hole around the, holes around the sides, and you put hash down on the bottom, and then you heated up this glass rod and touched it down on the hash and breathed in. And I just remember the flavor being like, you know, 
twice as good as anything I've ever tasted in my life. And then I remember being uncomfortably stoned for about two hours and thinking to myself like an hour and a half into it, like that's something just rocked my world, you know? That was my first dab. <laughs> that was your first dab. Yeah. And I was <laughs> I was young and innocent. Right. And that technology is really taking over the head shop industry the it's taking over industry. everything it's taking over the the cultivating industry because all of a sudden you don't have to grow beautiful marijuana that has to be presentable in a jar and smell like dank in a jar and be burned clean in a bowl absolutely and right you can grow right. total crap and blast it into hash and if you don't know any better out of a vape pen with glycol mixed in it you know uh, in a cartridge it tastes all right it gets you high people don't give a shit and that's again going back Back to the like, you know, are you a Budweiser guy or are you not? You know, right? Because the glycol is used as a cutting agent in in uh, maybe not a cutting agent is the correct term, but it's a it allows it to be viscous enough to smoke into in a in a cartridge in a vape pen. We're we're referring to just vape pens, and basically, if you stick really good hash in a vape pen. It'll, only the part that's next to the heating element will melt because it's not liquidy enough. And so they mix glycol with the hash to make it liquidy enough to run down onto the heating element. So every time you inhale, it burns it. Inhale, exhale. Just got an ounce in the mail. Yeah, the vape pen is incredible. It really has brought cannabis consumption to so many people and it's going to continue to i know there's concerns over the health issues and usages of it I, i'm a proponent i'm not a proponent of it one way or the other yeah I, I i like the technology i like anything about cannabis and weed i'm not going yeah. to say anything about it's bad right it, and it's a time and place thing it's a time and place like man. when you're on vacation with, with your, your grandmother at disney world it's perfect yeah you rip that vape pen all day long and she has perfect. no clue and you're high as hell but like if i had if i'm sitting in my house enjoying a movie i'm not going to be smoking off of a glycol vape pen yeah absolutely. you know like i just won't now here's the good news is that i'm working with some companies around the country who are smart enough and wise enough and i have to assume that there's more than just these guys that are pushing hard on the technology end of every aspect of marijuana but these people specifically with vape pens and there's there's got to be there's going to be advances in it and eventually we will get the iphone of the vape pen which is yeah, it's coming you know, right i've which seen is some like of those technologies that are cadillac incredible. vape pen that works oh, perfect yeah. that you can smoke hash out of without glycol and so everyone just sit back and wait because it's coming so how how do you how do you puff on a when you prefer when you when you get high when you smoke out how, how do you do that I usually am a hash concentrate guy until the evening this is stereotypically and then then throughout the day I will not hide behind it <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not ashamed uh, dab, dabber, I, you're dabber. I have very Cereal bad ADD, dabber. and, I, and when I wake up in look, the morning, he's justifying himself. Yeah, for sure. Hey, whatever, but I'm, bro. I'm saying like we're all adults. Here. On my best whatever day, on my best day, I would smoke ten dabs in a day by the evening, and on my you know normal day is probably three a day. And I do like <laughs> to get up and like go work out and then get stoned. You're such a stereotypical stoner. You're yeah. smoking weed all day yes. long. All right, so here's Bickle's schedule. Bickle gets up eight o'clock, seven. No, o'clock. no, gets up seven o'clock. Walks the dogs. 
uh, goes, works out for an hour or so, uh, eats a ton of food, probably goes in like bicycles or runs or goes some to a meeting, does a bunch of meetings all day long, goes all over the state helping people grow weed, uh, get in the afternoon, comes back, works out again, eats another shitload of food, goes and takes the dogs on a big ass walk. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you rewind the day and then fast forward it. I like to, I'm an exerciser that keeps me sane and uh, I am an ambitious uh, businessman who will go anywhere to the far reaches of the earth to help grow a good pot. Oh yeah, man. I, I, I have uh, been motivated by your workouting, workout technique and skill and duration and time more than any others. I, I I keep struggling to get on your, get on the Coach Bickle bandwagon, <laughs> the boat, right? Shout out to Lodo CrossFit. Yeah, so many other people are, uh, are are have been motivated by you. I mean, we could we could count the numerous people that you have uh, influenced to lead a healthier lifestyle. Well, it's the same thing with plants, man. Uh, you know, in a pesticide world, it's do you want to give your plants antibiotics before they're sick or do you want to give your plants vitamins or give them after they're sick or give them vitamins before they're sick? And that's the difference in pest sprays is, you know, organic pest management is before they, they're sick, you give them good vitamins and illegal pesticides are antibiotics after they're sick. And that's how I try and treat my body. It's how I try and treat my plants. And, you know, that's something that, Health is wealth. I will tell you that. Health Everyone write wealth. that one down. Health is wealth. Yeah, I've felt the best when I've eaten the healthiest and been the strongest, exercised, worked out, moved the most in my yep. life. That's for sure. Yep. And the healthiest plants make Absolutely. the healthiest weed. And Absolutely. It tastes the best and gets you the most done. So in our industry, there's often this terminology, these 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 interesting phraseologies that people have, and a lot of it's slang or lingo that you and your friends have developed, and and it's blossomed out into to something different. Do you, do you have any special terminology you use? Um, a good one would definitely be Earl. Earl smoking Earl smoking Earl. Uh, I've heard smoking you know, Earl. I'm not going to sit here and say that we invented the name Earl for hash oil. But I'd never heard it before, and we made it up, and you know, you hear it all over the place. Conscious collective. Yeah, um, <laughs> you hear, I've heard it to other, you know, I'm sure multiple groups of people invented Earl. it. But uh, hash oil, um, you know, in the industry, there's a whole vocabulary. There's a dictionary's worth of vocabulary Absolutely. and terms Absolutely. and lingos that, like, it's literally like. You know, the government was like, all right, we're going to make you guys learn our own Japanese version of this <laughs> language and, you you know, something completely foreign to everyone else. Right. And, and, and then, you know, but there is no, unfortunately, no translators of Japanese or no one that even speaks Japanese in this industry, if you will. And all of a sudden we have this problem where we have to learn this terminology overnight right with to each be other. able to communicate with each other. And it's, and it's absolutely beautiful to see how many people can talk the lingo now, you know, right. metric for instance, what, like we've been speaking about the tracking system or, you know, like just the different uh, RFID tags and package tags and labels and all these different words like tamper evident 
containers versus a childproof container versus a. <laughs> Those are know, all normal industry words, though. They are, but to our industry and specific to our product, it's something that's so that's foreign new. and okay, new. Okay, yeah. okay, now, okay, I see that you're you're absolutely right. That's an interesting perspective. Usually, people come on and they say whatever is their pet name for smoking weed or growing weed or or, or slinging weed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a talking little, to Joe. That's a little. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we call it in high school. You want to go talk to Joe? Hey, we're talking to Joe, man. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I, did, I didn't smoke weed in high school, not till I was after I was 21. Um, so, uh, not till it was legal, bro. Not till it was legal. So around the grow room, do you know any, any words, that, any terminologies? Yes, LARF is, LARF. A, is a favorite one. Uh, LARF. <clears throat> I'm sorry, LARF. LARF, a word. That has no other meaning in the no world. No other meaning in the world. Besides, besides lower unwanted marijuana buds that are better tossed in with the trim than they are trimmed and given to someone to sell and smoke. Right. right. Look, undeveloped bottom buds yes. that don't receive the light. Say it in a sentence, please. That plant. That plant <laughs> looked a little larfy at the bottom. Maybe we should have trimmed it up a little more. Ah <laughs> oh, man, this sack's all larf. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> these motherfuckers are selling me larf, man. And the opposite of larf would be the big, huge colas on top that are, um, you know, the big trophy nuggets. And trophy so, nuggets. Larf is one. Let's think of another one. Um, you know. A good. Uh, well, you uh, just said nugget. Yeah, nugget. That's the good stuff. Uh, the good stuff. Um, uh, blasting it. Blasting. Uh, yes, yeah, blasting is blasting. a term for making into hash. And where you know, ten years ago, you would trim every piece of larf. Now you know every the terminology, larf, right. so you can follow along here. Small little nuggets. Um, you can take the larf and blast mm -hmm. it into hash, and all of a sudden, you have not ripped anyone off because all the larf has gone to being made into hash, blasted, and it makes that you know all you're selling is your good nugs. Yeah, previously your dealer sold you the larf and kept the big buds for himself. Yeah, exactly. Kept the nuggets for himself. Yeah. Now you know if you're in that situation currently. I'm going to confess you know. that I did that throughout the entire 2000s, uh, <sighs> early 2000s. Hey, Not security, really. security. <laughs> no. Could, could, could we uh, take Pickle out of here, please? I definitely show's over. We're out of guys. here. Yeah. <laughs> Pack it up, man. Pack it up. Get let's, here, all right, man. we're done. We're done. We're done with this. We're done with this. But no, that was the glory. Man, if you grew it, you better kept the favorite nuggets or you're a silly man. But if you grew it right, all the nuggets were good. And so blasting is another one. Blasting. Uh, let's think of another one. Um, there's lollipopping and topping. Lollipopping and topping. And that's like my, that's if I were to technique. teach two techniques in a grow room, it would be those two only and not overwatering would be right. the third. But uh, lollipopping a plant is literally making each stalk or each branch look like a lollipop, which would be nothing all the way up the stick until the very top. And then there's just, you know, that only growth. So you pick off all the lower growth on every branch. And then topping is the opposite process, which is you pick the lead growth out of every branch. And every time you pluck out a lead growth, it'll split into two pieces and make for double the tops. So topping and lollipopping. Topping, lollipop, don't overwater. Don't be greedy. There don't you go. Grow, secret don't to grow success. Don't so larf, and if you have to do it, blast that shit. <laughs> <laughs> 
great. Those those are some great terminologies. Make sure you use your child proof tamper evident. So child proof is for the consumer. Tamper evident is for the industry. Whenever we transport marijuana, we have to put tamper Tamper evident tape on it. Tape on it. And so that way, if you were to show up with a, you leave with a pound of weed, you put tamper evident tape on it, you show up at the next place, the cops know you have not been opening the box and smoking it while you're driving. Back to the regulations. Regulate. (laughs) Man, you got any, uh, you got a weed story for me? Weed story. Yeah, like weed story. So I am a freshman in college. Mm, good I am going to fly to Amsterdam for spring break for my first time ever to Amsterdam. And I don't get a hotel room, don't make a single plan, just buy a plane ticket to Amsterdam because I'm going there for the weed and that's all I give a shit about. So I get over there and I am like literally you know, 98 out of a hundred percent freaking out excited. And I get to this dispensary and I go to the grasshopper. It's uh, the first one you walk up on. I'm sure everybody's that's been to Amsterdam to smoke weed's been to the grasshopper. And I go in and I got a video camera out. I'm like freaking out, jumping like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. I still got the tape. So we should put that on here. <laughs> sometime. And uh, yeah, we'll get that on the website. The guy selling the bud is like, Hey, motherfucker, you need to chill your ass out. Like, I wouldn't have to ask you to leave because I was so excited and freaking out so bad. So then I'm like really nervous that I'm going to get kicked out and uh, (laughs) proceed to buy like, you know, every single. I remember I bought Northern Lights. It was the first thing I bought. And then, you know, two That was one of the first trains, right? Absolutely. Everybody heard about that one. Oh, that's Northern Lights. Yeah. And uh, rolled that shit up. Rolled that shit up. Smoked it. Smoked it. That was uh, basically, you know, I was already in love. I was already infatuated with the plant. I was the guy in college that had centerfolds of high times up, you know, and of nuggets instead of hot chicks. Like, I was more into, like, bud and smoking weed. And I love hot chicks, don't get me wrong, but marijuana has been what did it for me from day one. And <laughs> it's like if everybody, you've got a weakness, for me it's marijuana. And in a good way and a bad way. I have a soft spot in my heart for Smoke it. Smoke them out. And uh, basically from that moment on, I knew that it was bigger than than just buying it and smoking it. That there was something great about this thing, and it, like there was an industry that I got to walk into a place that sold it for commerce, and you know, like, and it was creating like I, all the bells started to ring in in, in my head, like, okay, how much money did did the airline make for me coming over here? Did every plate, restaurant I eat at, did every single dispensary that I spent, or, you know, coffee shop that I spent all my money on, the pastry shop, Renee's in Amsterdam, anyone that's been there and knows about Renee's, like I spent thousands of dollars at that place. <laughs> like, you know, like how much trickle up economics again that you can get from this plant and from this experience and from this culture. And, this is all in a flash. This yeah, all came to you in a flash. Like, well, it happened. It, it kept, it started coming to me then. It wasn't a flash. It still <laughs> it seems it's like still a flash coming. now. Yeah. You know, and then the rest of that week I was over there. I just, the, I bought seeds. I, you know, I went to the cannabis college. I, I looked, tried to, you know, find places to get tours of greenhouses. And this it, was 90. 1999. 1999. Yeah, I was 19 years old. 
and uh, or 18. And uh, that's, you know, I, I, I at the time the I thought, time. hey, you're going to have to move to Amsterdam right. to get to grow this shit. You're to yeah. sell it. Yeah, and I, and there is John that owns the gray area. He's still over there. He's the only American that owns a coffee shop over in Amsterdam, the gray area. There might be a few now, but yeah, well that, this was in at, at that time. time. And uh, I remember just thinking like, how do I get to be him? How can I sell pot for a living and make this my passion in my world? And uh, man, uh, goosebumps, like, you know, totally by a lot of luck and by a lot of hard work, I'm doing it. Yeah, you are. Oh, you're crushing it, man. You're more, Thanks, more than sir. doing it, crushing it, crushing it. This has been an awesome, awesome conversation. As we've gone through it, I've made notes of other things I've wanted to ask you about or talk about. Uh, I, I feel like we, we dug deep on a couple things. We got some dirt out. We got yeah. some dirt out on the industry. We got some dirt out on growing. We got some dirt out on the money, the politics. Uh, man, I feel like we've, we, we have we have covered it all. It, it, it's also so long; it's probably going to at least be a two-part episode. Yeah. Um. 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 Part one and two. Uh, dos. But uh, it's been great having you on, Matt. Thank you very much, sir. I'm sure we're going to have you back. Uh, looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, man, let's go roll some more up. Word. One, yeah. one quick thing before we go, I will want to just say thank you to you for your contribution, man. Like, uh, I don't know how many people are going to do a good enough job of pointing out that I like to tell people that, you know, Chip made Humboldt Humboldt. And uh, this Chip, is not true. Chip made the world of marijuana a better place. He was, uh, he's a pioneer in this game, man. He's somebody that I look up to and that, you know, I'm super stoked to know and super stoked to not have to have all the answers because I got somebody on top of me that, that can help with the ones that I can't answer. And, um, you know, just like being a risk taker, being a passionate person, being a, a lover of the flower and the plant, man, like, thank you for what you do for all of us. Cause, uh, I, you know, my life is 10 times easier and my job is 10 times easier because I know you and you're my friend. So, oh man, big ups, dude. Thanks, brother. Yes, sir. Oh, oh, oh.